Are you ready? This is Mock on the Mic on the A1 Sports Network. Bow to the masters. Break it down! How you doing, everybody, and welcome to the Moffat on the Mic radio show, courtesy of the A1 Sports Network. I am Craig Moffat, and of course, this show would not be complete without the production stylings of the people's producer, the head honcho, the founder of the A1 Network. I am talking about, of course, Chris Clem. What's up, Craig? Clem, how you doing, man? Doing good. Doing good. You know, I had some... I appreciate, you, I appreciate you rocking the Mets gear after a tough loss yesterday. <laughs> the only reason I'm rocking this is because my man, probably my favorite Met of all time, retired the other day. And uh, Jose Reyes, yes. Yeah, Jose Reyes retired. Probably my favorite... He'll probably be my favorite Met of all time. And it's, you know, I'm like, God oh, damn it. Can't believe he's, he's, he's done. Well, we've got a great show today. Um, we weren't able to originally... We weren't sure if we were going to... We have a guest today, but at the last minute, Clem worked his magic, as only he can. And uh, we have one of our good friends on the network coming on in a couple of minutes. I'm talking about the host of the Jake Asman Show on the Sports Map uh, Network, radio network. Jake Asman will be here in a few minutes uh, to talk. Plenty of Jets football, maybe some of the stuff going on with the Astros, as well as a few other things. So we're really psyched to have him on the show today. As well, again, Jake's always been a good friend to us. He's always makes the time for us, and we, you know, we respect him. And we, you know, his show is awesome, and we always appreciate when he takes a few minutes and uh, comes on the show. So yep. he should be on in a couple of minutes. And um, you know, I'm just gonna kind of—I know we were gonna kind of go into this, and if Jake comes on, we'll we'll table this till after the after our chat. Um, you know, last night the Mets had a tough loss; they lost six to three, six to five to the Red Sox. Um, you know, what's kind of funny is, is that 60-game season, we're at about 54 left. Mm. And, look, we already knew that every game counts. But, man, Mets fans have got to get off the ledge. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like they just need a push. You know, like the minute that something happens, they're just – and this is one of the things I've always hated about Twitter is I've always found Twitter to be a bit of like a bitch fest. Oh, yeah. fest Because it gives people that platform to respond in real time. And the minute something goes down, it's like, oh, here we go. Mets suck and all that stuff. If I have to hear Evan Roberts use the term brutal or debacle every time he describes a loss, I'm literally going to claw my eyes out. I am, like, so sick of hearing this. Not every loss is a brutal loss. Yeah. The team is going to lose games, Mets fans. They're not going to go 60-0. and They're not going to go 59-1. and They're not going to go 54-6. and they're going to hover around 30 to 35 wins, give or take. And I'm going yeah. to be nice about it, okay? But the problem I have is, is, look, I cannot really find many things to second-guess Luis Rojas right now. Right. The only thing I'm not a huge fan of mm-hmm. is the fact that the lineup seem to be changing every day. So there's not really a set order. Yeah. And as me, personally, I would just prefer Jeff McNeil in the leadoff spot. Yeah, I'm not really a big fan of like I get Rojas is trying to you know switch things around and everything like that. But I, I, I like you know start, you don't need to change everything right now. I get that they didn't have like a like a real uh, spring training and real off season to really you know figure out what kind of lineup they want to run with the rest of the season. I'm just not a fan. I think Jeff McNeil definitely 
has to be in that leadoff spot. I just, I just like having McNeil in the leadoff spot. That's just my preference. I don't have a problem with you trying out Nimmo and Rosario. I mean, I don't know if that's what he's really trying to do to fill out the lineup. I like the fact that he put Cano in the seven hole. I like the fact, although, again, he's rearranging the lineup quite a bit. Conforto's been moved around a bit. Cespedes seems to be locked in at the five. And Alonzo seems to be pretty much locked in at the two. Yeah, they, he came out with – today's lineup came out and Rosario – he's Rosario leading off tonight. Yeah, see, like, I, I don't – but, again, I, I'm not going to really second-guess the guy too much because I really – I like him a lot. I really like the way he – it's very tough to – I mean, if you're going to second-guess his decisions right now, you're basically nitpicking. Right. You're nitpicking at every decision that he makes. And yesterday was a tough loss. And, the, listen, Lugo needs to hold that down. Lugo needs to get out of that seventh inning. You know, Justin Wilson's a guy they seem to be really reliant on. And the new rule where they have to face three batters kind of screws with them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, in my honest opinion, I would have gone with Betances. Betances is your eighth inning guy. If that's the guy you have locked in for your eighth inning spot, then you need to use him in the eighth inning. Okay? Mm-hmm. And Lugo, the thing with Lugo is I'm not sure what to make of him. Is he going to be the de facto closer if Diaz screws up or – are you just going to put them wherever you feel like it? Yeah. Those are like the little things. But, again, it's, it's very nitpicky because the Mets, to me, I think they have a good bullpen. I actually have really no complaints about their bullpen. But, you know, they've blown a couple of games. Diaz had one bad pitch against the Braves that Ozuna took over the, over the fence. And then yesterday was really just a bad game all around. I'm not going to count the Braves' loss on Sunday because Porcello really put them in a big hole. Like he, yeah, like he, he put sucked. them in a really deep hole. Real bad. So the thing is, is we got to understand something. While I understand that the loss yesterday was bad, it is not the sky is falling. This, yeah. isn't, this isn't chicken little, okay? It is one game, and we forget that the Boston Red Sox have a good offense. Yeah. Intendi, Devers, J.D. Martinez, Vasquez had a big game yesterday for them. You know, they have hitters, and we need to kind of respect that. They may not have the pitching, but they have the hitting. Yeah. So the thing is, here's the best part though, Clem. The Mets are three and three. They're not one and five. They're not 0 and six. They are three and three. Yes, they should be five and one. I will give that. Well, honestly, I'm not even going to say last night they should be five and one because I can understand if it was the ninth inning and they had a lead and they blew it. It was the seventh inning, they had a one run lead, and Lugo couldn't hold it down. Yeah. And then Wilson just made it worse. Those implosions are going to happen. And Rojas said it perfectly after the game. He said, look, our, our guys are going to give up runs. I mean, they're going to give up runs sometimes. That's just what it, that's just what it is as a pitcher. You're not going to pitch shutout ball every game. Yeah, it happens. Well, you know, Familia comes in, pitches an inning, no runs, strikes out a guy. So, again, those are just little things. But that being said, it's in a vacuum right now because we're in such a condensed season. So every game is going to count. Mm-hmm. So the Mets have to win today just to kind of salvage a split against Boston because you have four coming up against Atlanta. And that's going to be tough on the road, mind you. Yeah. So that's not going to be a very fun, very fun weekend. And on top of that, you don't have DeGrom until Monday. So you're really going in with Porcello, Waka, Peterson, and DeGrom on Monday. Peterson did look good in his start. I liked it. I thought Peterson looked very good. I was actually very impressed. I thought he, I thought he did, a, did a good job. Bless him. Um, Thank you. I thought he did a good job overall, five and two-thirds. I thought he kind of handled himself very well. And here's the beautiful part. Robinson Cano is on a two-game hitting streak. So suck on that, Kalinic. 
Cano's been looking good, too. A lot of these guys have been, you know, very – like, holding their own. The only one who really you could put question marks around is Pete Alonzo. But I'm not, I'm not worried about Pete. Bobby Cano gets a bit of a bad rap right now because he came to the Mets. It's not his fault that Brody Van Wagenen traded for him. Yeah. So everybody wants vintage Robinson Cano from the Yankee days. And that's just not going to happen. He is not being asked to carry the team here. Jake's here. He's just – Jake's here? All right, well, let's table this. We'll get back to that. So we left off at Cano. <laughs> All right, joining us on the Moffat on the Mike show right now, he has always been a good friend to us, and we're glad and appreciative that he was able to take a few minutes of his time out of his busy schedule. He is the host of the Jake Asman Show every Monday to Friday, 9 to 11, on the SM Sports Radio Network, the Sports Map Radio Network. We are talking to Jake Asman. Hey, Jake. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you. Hey, thanks for squeezing us in on a short notice. I, hear, I know you got something a uh, little bit later, so we'll uh, – we have plenty of questions, and we'll fire them off as quickly as we can, all right? Looking forward to it. All right, so let's, let's start with, obviously, the big uh, Jamal Adams. Um, so here's the thing. I was thinking about this today. After hearing reports after the trade went down, and then there was a report that Adams was uh, kind of not pressuring, but trying to convince Cowboy teammates to talk to Jerry Jones about acquiring him to go to Dallas, and then, of course, all the drama that eventually built up to the trade and the fact that really not a lot of the roster, the current Jets roster have really come out and said, hey, Jamal, we miss you, you know, take care of yourself, kind of good luck and all that stuff. At the end of the day, who do you think was the bigger problem in the locker room, Adams or Adam Gates? So I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's telling that there haven't been very many, if at all, teammates that have, you know, sent out a tweet for Jamal or spoken publicly about it. When Darnold was asked about it the other day, he kind of talked around it. Uh, as far as I know, the only guy is Bell. And that was yeah, more right. – that was at a Twitter war, really, not really like – And he went after him. And, and he spoke for basically, I think, how you know most Jet fans feel about the whole thing. Listen, there's a lot of things we can get on the Jets for in, in their franchise's history, but making this deal to me is not one of them. You had an unhappy guy that was never going to be happy here. That's just the reality. I don't think this had anything to do with Adam Gase either. Jamal just knew the one hot-button topic that most Jet fans would agree with is that they Jet fan doesn't like Adam Gase. So he went after Gase, and he went after Joe Douglas, accused him of being a liar. He played every card in the book to try and force his way out. So part of me is upset that he's gone because we kind of gave him what – you know, the Jets gave him what he wanted. But you can't deny how great the return was and that even if Jamal was happy here, a team offers you two first-round picks, a third-round pick, and a quality safety in Bradley McDougal – the Jets might do that deal anyway, even if Jamal is like a happy camper. So, you know, it's such a great offer. I don't blame Joe Douglas for doing what he had to do because this was going to be a huge distraction all year. And to now not have to pay uh, – he's a great player. Don't get me wrong. We all know he's a great player. But to not have to pay safety, you know, $18 million, I think that's huge for the Jets for cap purposes moving forward because the issue with this roster is they're paying – you know, C.J. Mosley, $17.5 million a year, and he's, he's a linebacker. That's just not how you manage the salary cap. So then to double down and then pay Jamal Adams $18 million a year, you're supposed to pay your offensive line, your tackles, your cornerbacks, obviously the quarterback. We hope Sam has a big year, and then they sign him long term. So, like, strategy-wise, the Jets can go 7-9 with or without Jamal Adams. We've seen it the last few years. So I, I don't think that this deal, while it makes them, I'm sure, worse defensively in 2020, they have the coaching in place. If they stay healthy and Sam takes a big step in this upcoming season, it's not out of the realm that the Jets could be a better team this year than they were last year, and they had Jamal Adams. Like, yeah. oh, wait, hold on one second, Clement. I'm sorry. Let's have a follow-up to the kind of a, on that one as well. 
after the story was printed in the Daily News by Manish Mehta, were you surprised at how fans seemed to side with Gase and, and turn on Jamal Adams? It, it's a bit surprising. I think the, the, the one thing the fans were with was what he said about Gase, but we all know what Jamal's endgame was. It, it was to get paid and get out of New York. You know, if the Jets said, hey, we'll pay you $20 million, he would have stayed. You know, Jamal's, I, I saw he, he spoke to the Seattle media earlier today. He's like, I want to retire here. Yeah, he said all that with the Jets. Jamal will just talk and talk and talk and talk. And the reality is he's been a me first guy. Yeah, he's a great player. He makes your team better, no doubt. But he's been a me guy. What he did was selfish. There's a right and wrong way to go about trying to get paid. He has every right to ask to redo his contract. That's in the CBA. After your third year, you could ask for that. But how he went about it was disgraceful. And you know what? I, I would have loved to just, you know, say, hey, you know what, Jamal? Don't play this year. Sit on the sidelines. But the fact that Joe Douglas said, you know what? All right, you want to be gone so bad? We'll trade you. But it has to be for a massive return. And the fact that they got that return, it, it's kind of bittersweet because it's yet another great player that's not going to, you know, play his entire career with the Jets. But I think ultimately – you know, I, I think this was not an Adam Gase story. You know, trying to lump Gase in was just another attempt by Adam's camp to try and get him out of town. Now, I keep every – which, if, like, I'm on Facebook pages, radio shows, whatever I'm listening to or seeing, everyone is, like, still hating on Gase. What, like, are people just, like, you know, not, like, sold by what Gase is selling? Or, like, do they just hate him but, like because he did shitty in, in uh, Miami? Yeah, and I think it's that more than anything. I just think it's because, oh, we hired the ex – he wasn't good enough for the Miami Dolphins. Why are we hiring him? And listen, I'm no – you know, I'm not – I feel like I have to constantly defend Adam Gase, and I'm not even in love with him as a head coach. Yeah. I think, you know, but I think some, sometimes it goes a bit too far. When you really look at what happened with Adam Gase in Miami, the first year he's there, they go 10-6, and six, they make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Tannehill gets hurt, Matt Moore has to start that playoff game. Tannehill was healthy for most of that season, and I had a good year. The previous two years, he was in Miami after that. You know, he had Brock Osweiler. He had Jake Cutler come out of retirement. I mean, they were awful. Tannehill was always hurt. And people were like, oh, well, look what happened to Tannehill when he went to the Titans. It's like, yeah, he had a great year. But it's not like he wasn't good when Gase coached him that first year in Miami, too. He just got hurt. So yeah. that never gets mentioned. And, you know, all these people are like, oh, no one wants to play for Gase. Yeah, go, go talk to Frank Gore about that. There are a couple outspoken players that came out. And that's what normally happens. Football is not uh, kumbaya. Everyone's got to get along with everybody. So I think some of the Gase hate stems from what was perceived to have, have, you know, have happened in Miami. And I think part of it's too, you know, when the Jets were 1-7 last year, I think outside of the diehards, a lot of people just checked out. You know, they probably didn't watch the Jets go 6-2. and two in the second half of the season. They probably, you know, didn't see the development we saw at the end of the year with the quarterback. So it's all Sam regressed. Uh, the Jets are terrible when, you know, meanwhile, the Jets finished 7-9 and nine despite Sam Darnold missing three games. The Jets finished 6-2 and two in the second half with all the injuries they had on both sides of the ball. And, you know, I, I just think Gase gets zero credit for hiring Greg Williams. You know, there's something to be said for hiring that guy, letting him run your defense, and staying out of the way. And, you know, here I am defending Adam Gase, but I think you have to be fair with the criticism. Now, yeah. it is a huge year for him, right? The Jets need to be better this year. I don't think, you know, 7-9 and nine is good enough when there's an extra playoff spot in the AFC, when Tom Brady's no longer in your division. So I think the Jets need to take a big step forward with their quarterback in his third year with a better line and better weapons around him. That all being said, I don't think Gase is the worst coach in the world. I think he has a lot to prove, but, you know, he's not Todd Bowles, all right? We know what bad coaching is as Jet fans. We just watched it. So it's just – it's insane to me. And that's a funny thing you mentioned. Like, Clem and I defend Gase a lot. 
because I think he does get a bit of a bad rap. Mm -hmm. I think this whole quarterback whisperer garbage that was going around for years and years when he was with Denver, was with Chicago, whatever it is, I think that's just stuff the media just kind of feeds into. And where the Gaze kind of took it and just kind of like, yeah, I guess I am the quarterback whisperer. And then and all that stuff. I, I guess in a way I can understand, but I think the guy does get a bad rap. And I don't really particularly like it because Jet fans just are automatically like, oh, we hate this guy like, and everything. But in the second half of the year when they were 6-2, and two, nobody hated him. Everybody right. loved him. And Everybody Jamal Adams didn't hate him either, right? Yeah, I mean, Jamal was like, oh, I want to stay in New York and yeah. all that stuff. And so I, I totally agree, Craig. And I also think, you know, that something that doesn't – something Gase does not get enough credit for. And here we are, like, defending this guy as if he's, like, you know, this great coach. But it's just, <laughs> the, the disdain the Jet fan has for him, I just, I just don't think is fair. Like, I try to be fair with my opinions on my sports teams. I just think, yeah, he has a lot to prove still. Is he Vince Lombardi? No one's saying that. Is he Bill Belichick? No. But, you know, people make it seem like he's Richie Kotai. And when the Jets were 1-7 last year, maybe they were trending in that direction. But guess what? The fact that they did rally and go six and two in the second half and finish seven and nine is a testament to the coach. Say whatever you want about Adam Gase, but they never quit on him. They play hard every game. They and didn't. What's telling just, is, you know, what's telling also is the fact again, like we just mentioned, is like none of the players have really kind of come out in defense of Jamal Adams, right? I mean, and whether that's just because they're under contract or whatever, I don't know what it is, but it makes Maida's article seem really like almost like the truth is being stretched. Not really like it's a, you know, God, you know, absolutely 100% Jamal's right because none of the players have really kind of backed them up and none of the players are, and if you read like a different article, I was reading from Brian Costello the other day from the Post. It's not that he, he knows that Gase is who he is. But at the same time, Adams ruffled a lot of feathers on that team, especially with the whole trade demand thing back in October when he was like ripping Douglas and everything. And then this whole, like, really smear job against the entire organization, especially against the owner. I mean, it, players were really put off by that. And I it agree. Was alarming. It was alarming how they seem to, all of a sudden, you start to ask yourself, was Adam Gase really the big problem here? Or was it really more Jamal Adams? Yeah, and I also think the other factor with Adams, too, is, you know, as good of a player as he is, he's always posted on social media. He's liking tweets that, like, you know, said that Sam Darnold wasn't good in a particular game I remember last year. So there's just there's just things that he does that would tick off teammates in that locker room. But you put up with it because he was such a good player. He's obviously an all-pro safety. But I think it's telling that there haven't been a lot of people that have come out and spoke glowingly of him. And, you know, what Le'Veon Bell said, when the, the, the most recognizable player on the Jets is Le'Veon Bell. And when he comes out there and, and tweets what he says, that, that to me is what the locker room truly feels about the guy, right? And in yeah. Bell's case, Jamal Adams was tweeting and, you know, screaming and going. He went on my radio show two years ago in Atlanta and was campaigning for a guy like Le'Veon Bell to sign with the Jets. And, you know, all of a sudden, he, a great player like Bell does sign with the team, and then a year in, Jamal's out, and it's now all of a sudden the coach's fault when – Bell wasn't wrong. I don't like, think Bell was wrong at all when he tweeted that. I, right. I loved every minute of that. Yeah. And, and I think most Jet fans did. So, you know, it, it's – it stinks because a great player is no longer with the team, but the idea that this is Adam Gase's fault or the idea that the Jets are just an incompetent organization because they traded him and he wanted out, I think that's nonsense. Let's blame the player for this. You know, I love the trade from the Jets' standpoint. Joe Douglas is not Mike McCagden. He's not John Isaac. He deserves a chance to use those picks and build out the roster, and it stinks that he's only had one draft so far because I think we all feel very good about what he did a couple, a couple months ago, and unfortunately for us Jet fans, 
you know, he didn't get hired till June of last year. So he's been on the job for 13 months and, you know, they're kind of behind the eight ball because of it, but you know, it is what it is. You, you hope that he's the right guy moving forward to build up this roster. Now, do you think, because, you know, we've seen him make all these trades so far, we just got another third and a first and God knows what, what else we got now recent now today, I think I read that uh, Ngakwe from the Jaguars is going to be holding out for camp. Do you see a guy, do you see Douglas now that he has a little more draft picks and draft capital to go out and trade for a guy like that? Or will he go out and sign our, our new safety, Bradley McDougal's boy, Jadavian Clowney? Yeah, I mean, that'd be, Clowney would be awesome in New York. I think, he, I, think, I think Jeff fans would love just the way he plays. I mean, Clowney, Clowney, Clowney's not a big sack guy, but I covered him you know, for a season here in Houston. He does so many of the little things that he doesn't get enough credit for. He's as good against the run, I think, as any uh, defensive end in the league. He can play outside linebacker for you. I think he'd be great in Greg Williams' defense. I think that's the type of guy that Greg Williams would love to coach. So uh, I would love – to see the Jets, you know, bring in Clowney. If they can get him on a one-year deal, I mean, that'd be, you know, that'd be a dream come true right there. So I, I would love that. Um, you know, as far as uh, trading for a star with those picks, th- that's a big factor in all this too. This idea that, oh, well, those picks from Seattle are going to be late-round picks. First off, you know, just because it's late in the first round doesn't mean you can't find talent there. I mean, look at all the late picks in the first round that end up being, you know, Pro Bowl players, all pro players. So if you truly have a good front office, you'll find talent no matter where you're picking. That's what the great – you know, organizations do in the NFL. So I, I hate that argument. Oh, it's going to be late first round picks. Uh, TJ Watt was like the last pick in the first round a couple of years ago. Lamar Jackson was picked 32 a few years ago. There's, there's always great players that show up at the end of the draft. And you know what? If the Jets are in the mix for a star player, all of a sudden when you have four first round picks over the next two years, well, you have the capital to go out and make that big move. So I, I think the way they have now set themselves up to kind of navigate, you know, whatever path they choose to go down. I think that's huge for this team moving forward. I really do. I could also see a situation where Douglas trades out of the first round, depending on where the Seahawks pick is, because a lot of people tend to value late first rounders the same as early second rounders. Right. Great so point. If the team wants to move up in the first round, Douglas could get a haul just on that pick alone if he doesn't really feel like the value is there to use that pick on a player when he can just trade out of the first round and acquire – second round, maybe even another third rounder, depending on what the team is willing to give up. Yeah, I think that's a great point as well. I mean, we saw Douglas, you know, kind of navigate the draft board uh, in April. And it, was, it wasn't it was weird as a Jet fan, like watching a guy trade down, but then still get the guy they wanted all along. And Denzel Mims and actually acquire extra capital in that deal. I mean, as Jet fans, we never see, you know, creativity from a general manager. So that was great to see in April. And you're right, uh, Craig, I think, that is definitely something they could do. Let's say Seattle, you know, worst case scenario for us Jet fans, they win the Super Bowl. It's pick 32. Well, you know, that you trade out of the first round, maybe you get an extra second in the upcoming, uh, you know, in that same draft and a second the year after. And then you kind of just turn that Jamal Adams trade into how many extra picks now. So there's so many different things they could do. And Douglas seems like he knows what he's doing, which is I can't stress that enough because I was screaming for years that McKagan was in over his head. Izzik obviously was a disaster, but that's, that's going back now. You know, I said this the other day, the Izzik 12 should be taught in like a business school as to like how not to like run, a, it's just, run, run an organization. Like it is so, it's uh, such a traumatizing time. And the thing was, the only reason why we hired John Izzik is because Woody Johnson was emphatic about keeping Rex Ronnie. Yep. And in hindsight, they should have just kept Tannenbaum together with Rex for another year until uh, they figure it out or get out together. But you know, it's, it, it, all these moves end up setting back the franchise. We're still dealing with the lack of being able to draft effectively. And then the arguments, oh, oh well, you had Jamal Adams, you couldn't keep him. But 
You know, the problem is this goes back to why you don't take a safety sixth overall, because if you didn't have an intention of really paying him and, you know, making him your guy. And then he became unhappy. It's like, like, that's what I love about Douglas taking Makai Becton at pick 11, you know, tackles. Um, you want to go wide receiver in that spot. That's okay too. Like take the premium positions in the early first round. So when it does come time to pay them, it's not even a shadow of a doubt. Like I don't just disagree with Joe Douglas for with two years left on Jamal Adams deal deciding, Hey, we're going to wait till next year to extend you. I have no issue with that. But if he played quarterback, you know, he'd have a deal. Right. So it's just, it goes back to drafting the right guys at the right time. The jets haven't done that. And I hope with Douglas, they do. The thing that freaks me out about jet fans is they always panic. Like, the minute that there's, like, a rough story about whether it was Adams or back when it was Muhammad Wilkerson. Remember Muhammad Wilkerson was holding out? Oh, yeah. Dead 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 about Muhammad Wilkerson. And then he winds up signing a lucrative deal, and he turned out to be just kind of a bust at that point. Yep. You know, Jet fans, the minute, the minute something like that happens, they just freak out. But one thing I've noticed lately – see, the one thing I always had an issue with McCagnan was McCagnan had no problem spending the owner's money. He had no problem investing, you know, giving Tremaine Johnson a monster deal, giving – Le'Veon Bell, a monster deal. C.J. Mosley, you know, so that's why this narrative on Twitter and all that stuff that the Jets are cheap to me sounds very lazy because the Jets have always had, whenever they've had the cap space, they've always spent the money. Right. That's never been an issue. Go back to 2015 when McCagden first got on the job. You know, the you know, Jets re-signed a rebound for Marty. You know, they traded for Brandon Marshall. So, yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a BS narrative. And I think that's just being, you know, put out there by a particular reporter that has a particular bias against the organization. But I think we all know who I'm alluding to. Of course, he's our favorite. <laughs> one thing about, I've noticed about Douglas is, and the fan reaction tells me a lot. And – this is the first time the fans have seen structure. This is the first time the fans have seen patience. Like in, you know, like that mad dash on the first day of free agency, Jeff fans are freaking out. And then all of a sudden, the, here comes Connor McGovern. Here comes Greg Van Roten. Here comes George Fant. And, you know, Douglas had a plan. And he, the idea was to not really hemorrhage the cap but put them in dire straits. McCagnan was very big on, okay, let's spend the cap money I can't draft. So let me let me overpay for an inside draft. linebacker. You know, <laughs> in two years when we're like when we have stuff to pay these guys and they're horrible. I mean, you're right, and, and that that I think is what gives fans the most confidence with Douglas. It seems like there's a real plan in place. It's not kind of like making it up as we go, which has always been you know an issue with the Jets in their history. It seems like they have a real plan in place. There's competition at every single position on that roster. You know, people made a big deal over Robbie Anderson leaving. I would have loved to have brought him back, but you know what? They like Rashad Perryman. They think it's a similar type of player that has huge upside, and they got him on a one-year deal. So that's a prove-it deal. Guys motivated to have a big year. I like that type of stuff, and I love the fact that they have five new starting offensive linemen potentially on this team. They had depth at that position. They had depth on defense. They brought back some of those guys, like a Jordan Jenkins on a one-year deal. Some of the guys that got a chance to play a lot last year because of all the injuries, now they're back, and you know they get a chance to maybe be a backup in front of a starter that, you know, provides depth on this team for the first time in a while. So I think there's a lot of positives with this team. I really do. I don't think they're as far away as people like to make it seem like they are. They did win seven games last year. They got a quarterback going into his third year, second full year in the offense. You see the plan that the Jets have. The question is about Gase and this team putting it all together in 2020. And that, you know, that's the big question. But as far as the general manager goes, I think the Jet fan for the first time in a long time, has confidence they have the right football guy in charge.
Yeah, like even this offseason, like you mentioned, did I want like the flashy names like the Jack Conklins, the Logan Ryans? Absolutely, I wanted those guys. But when I figured out like what Douglas's plan was and saw what he was doing, I'm like, I love this man. I will, I will, as a fan, run through a brick wall for Joe Douglas. I saw what he was doing. He got guys who don't really commit penalties on the offensive line. They're very disciplined guys. And even when I saw in the draft, too, in the later rounds, drafting guys like James Morgan, Bryce Hall, Brandon Mann, they were all captains of yep. their team. Like, that's a huge thing. You want to get disciplined guys on this team. You don't want to get lazy bums or guys who are just so out, but like Jamal Adams, unfortunately. You don't want to get that players like that. You go, you want to get players. The last, like, few draft picks, I mean, you go back to guys like Quentin Copels, and you go back to guys like Calvin Pryor. These guys should okay. still be in the league. God. It should still be in the league. I, I mean, nah. Darius Stewart, another gem of a yeah, pick. I mean, or you'll go back to Stephen Hill. And, you know, Vlad Dekman. Oh, my God. I, I'm like, I'm just, I'm just blown away. Like, Jason Morrow was a great tight end in college, and for some reason he just was god-awful with the so Jets. He got injured. He was so injury-prone, that guy. Oh, my. I mean, like, oh, God, I hate hearing uh, this. It's, it's painful. But, you know, I, I think that's a great point. You know, a lot of teams always say the cliche, oh, we want a great culture. We, we want guys that want to be here. We want leaders. But everything Joe has done has backed that up, which is why, like, you know, going after the splashy free agent signing would have been cool, I guess. But we've seen that. Like, you build your roster by making smart signings of free agency, keep your cap flexibility, and drafting right, and developing your own. And I think there is some talent on this team that people are overlooking. I think Chris Herndon this year could have a big year and help this offense out. Uh, I think I'm, I'm so Herndon. excited for this season. Like, I, I don't know why. Like, I really like the youth. I like the – I like guys, like you said, Chris Herndon. I'm, like, really excited to see for a full season – Guys like Braxton Barrios, who I, I'm a big fan of. I really liked his play when he was at Miami. He was a great punt returner for us last year. You know, kind of a guy like, you know, slot receiver who probably back up Jameson Crowder. There's a lot of talent on the team this year. Like, I really think it's going to be an interesting year for them. It's a, it's a better roster than they're giving credit for. And they, they obviously got to go out there and prove it. But, I, you know, I, I just don't think it's so doom and gloom. Like, I don't think we should ignore the second half of the season. I love what Joe Douglas said the other day. I think he was on the case show and I heard the, heard the cut where he's like, we want to prove that the team we were in the second half of the season is the team we actually are. And you know what? If they do that, you know, you project six and two out over, you know, obviously a full – a full season, you're you're making the playoffs and you got a chance to win. So that, that that'd be nice as a Jeff fan to get that type of. Uh, yeah, they'll be screaming for a contract extension for Gase. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know what? I hope all the Jeff fans that want to run Gase out of town would would say, "Hey, we were wrong." You know, this guy with talent around him and you know an opportunity to coach is maybe not as bad as we think. I, I hope we get you know that opportunity to see that. Yeah, as, as as long as as long as Sam isn't slutting it up and getting mono again, where I think we'll be good. Well, well he, even if he's using a COVID, that's the big yeah, thing. He took the high road. He's like, I'm going to be in my apartment and going to practice. I'm not doing anything else. Like, no one bothered me. I saw that. I hope he stays single for the whole season too. Just like, <laughs> when he's not in the facility, he's in quarantine. Like, get the Jets assistants to bring him his food, whatever he needs. Like, give yeah. Sam Darnold his own. Slide place. it under the table. Just do like the knock, like three knocks. You know, it's there. So. I mean, if he goes down, like, you know, they're in better shape this year than they had been because of Flacco being on board. But we don't know if he's healthy. Like, the reality is, we saw it last year. When Sam went down, they were not – they were forget winning. They were not going to score any points. So, they just – they need to keep him healthy at all costs. We need to see it. So, Jake, now that Adams is in Seattle, what do you think the future is for a guy like Marcus May? If he has another solid season, is it out of the realm of possibility to think that the Jets will franchise him and work on another work on a long term deal with him? 
It'd be pretty funny if he has this great season and he's the safety <laughs> get that paying, right? I'd love to see it. I mean, I like Marcus May. The issue with oh, him wow. is, you know, it's been staying healthy. So if he stays healthy, I think he's, I think he's a good player. And, you know, I'm excited to see him and, and Ashton Davis when he gets out there on the field. People seem to love this guy, you know, out of Cal, who's a third-round pick. But there's so much hype around him. You would think that he was drafted a lot higher. So I'm excited to see those two guys play together. And then, obviously, you know, uh, Brian Baldinger did a great breakdown on Bradley McDougal. He seems like a good player. Like, the fact that the Jets got him and the picks as a competent replacement for Jamal, it just makes me like that trade even more. So I, I think the Jets actually have good depth and safety, ironically enough after they traded maybe the best safety in the legal way. 2021, they have two ones, two threes, and two fives because of the Leonard Williams trade. Uh, the Leonard Williams trade from last year, they get the fifth rounder. Another great move by Douglas. It's, that's what I'm saying. Like, the guy is like a – I mean, he's a bona fide genius right now with the trades. I mean, he's negotiated some amazing deals for this team for their future. Let, you know, I don't know what he's going to do with the picks, but let's – I mean, the fact that I wish the 2021 draft was tomorrow. Yeah. The fact of having two ones and two threes and two fives, and you never know what he's going to do. I mean, one thing he likes to do is he likes to trade to get more picks. No doubt. And listen, I mean, ultimately, you know, if you're a Jet fan, you want to be good this year. You want to be competitive, try and go for a playoff, you know, go go for the playoffs with an extra wild card spot available and Brady out of the division. But I think you also want to know that your team's planning for the future and the Jets are doing both. You know, they're going to be they're going to be a better than people think this year if they stay healthy, of course. And then obviously, you, know, you, you just rattled off all the draft picks. You know, what's, what's stopping Joe Douglas from making another shrewd signing? You never know, right? Or another shrewd trade. So I'm excited to see kind of what they do because I think there's a, there should be a lot more optimism than maybe people realize with this team. Now, one thing we saw last year was uh, there were a lot of injuries on the Jets' defense. You know, we had guys step up like Kyle Phillips, Blake Cashman, James Burgess, Arthur Millett, Bless Austin, and the list goes on and on and on. Now, we mentioned we have so much depth this year, you know, with guys returning like C.J. Mosley, Avery Williamson, Quincy Wilson – so who do you think of, like, those backup guys you see playing a big impact on this Jets defense this year? I, you know, I really liked what we saw from Bless Austin. You know, I, like, he was injured at the beginning of last year, and then he instantly gets some playing time, and, and he, he, he looked like a really good cornerback from what we saw. If you, had, if you would have told me that guy was a first-round pick, I would believe you just based on the talent we saw when he made plays. And I love the fact that, you know, he's a New Jersey kid. He played at Rutgers, I'm pretty sure. So mm-hmm. I, I, I like him a lot. I just think the fact that all those guys you just mentioned there, Chris, got the opportunity to play as many games as they did right. at a necessity, really, because of the injuries, I, I think that's just going to help this team be a lot better than people realize because they finally have depth. The Jets never have depth. They would be playing guys that didn't belong on NFL fields under Todd Bowles because McCagney was so god-awful at drafting. But last year, you know, you give credit to the coaching staff, Greg Williams, for what he did and just some of the moves Douglas made before – the season started, they found guys that, that contributed. And I think that's going to be huge for them in 2020. I think all those guys you mentioned, Arthur Millett, another guy in that secondary, impressed me. I think they have talent there that people probably are, are not recognizing that hopefully now they'll get the proper recognition if they go out there and play well this year. Jake, um, with the NFL canceling the entire preseason, this has been kind of an interesting debate. I've actually heard on a couple of shows and even on just in general, but at the end of the day, when an entire preseason is canceled, in your opinion, which player gets affected the most? The undrafted free agent or the bubble player who's on a big contract but could be a cap casualty if he doesn't perform well in the preseason? I think both get affected, but I would say there's probably way more like the, the undrafted guy that's now never going to get their chance to make it to the NFL. I saw Victor Cruz say, hey, you know, if this happened when I was coming out, 
I never would have made the Giants. You know, we never would have Victor Cruz, you know, do what he obviously did in his in his career in New York. So I think it's guys like that. I, I you know, I, I, it's tough. I mean, I don't know what the answer is. It's just you know, it, the pandemic is what it is. You know, you, you feel bad for everyone that's you know, maybe getting their dreams taken away from them. But I, I think it's unfortunate. I mean, before camps even started, they're cutting the rosters down to eighty instead of the usual ninety. So there's a lot of people that are going to be out of work and it's really not, you know, it's, it's nothing they did wrong. It's just, it's a terrible situation. Yeah, no, cause I even, th- I was thinking about that too. I'm like, I always like seeing like the undrafted guys, you know, like, like pan out in the NFL. Like, you know, for us, it was Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson was probably my favorite guy on the jets last year to see that guy go from undrafted from temple to be like our star wide receiver. It was great. And now, now that we might not have it, it might not – guys like, you know, um, Lamar, uh, Lamar Jackson for us, this corner who was supposed to be pretty good, we, what we are hearing, and um, the wide receiver, Lamarcus Cage, I think his name is. He's supposed to be – Lawrence, Lawrence Cager. Lawrence Cager, yes. There's supposed to be some hype around those guys, and now that there's no preseason, we really have to just go off of what we hear from the media and what we might see from clips here and there and from practices. Right. It, it's, it's just different. I mean, you know, even being here in Houston, like we're not allowed to go – to any of the practices early on, only a finite amount of media are allowed, you know, to go to a Texans practice. And like, you know, this time last year, I was, you know, at every training camp practice for hours just watching it. It was so much fun to see, you know, the full contact drills and the, you know, 11 on 11s when the ones go against each other. So to not have that and not have a preseason either, you know, the lack of reps that a lot of these guys are not going to be getting, I think it's tough, which is why, you know, teams that have, you know, a first-time head coach or teams that are relying on a lot of rookies could be in some trouble when this year hopefully does start on time because of the fact there just wasn't a true offseason, there wasn't OTAs, and, you know, everything is just so different with the way we're trying to go about putting the season on in the middle of the pandemic. So in your opinion, at the end of the day, with, you know, everything changing with the fact that the rosters have to be knocked down to 80, do you see a lot of teams more likely to keep veterans than take the risk with a young you know, an undrafted free agent or whatever. Like, for example, you know, one of the possible cap casualties for the Jets could be Avery Williamson. Right. Now, I think Avery Williamson should stay on the roster because him and C.J. Mosley in the middle, we've never seen it before and we want to see it. And, you know, with Jenkins on the outside on one end, I think Basham right now is considered the uh, the uh, favorite to take the other outside linebacker job. Having Mosley and Williamson healthy and in the middle of the linebacking in the middle for the Jets' defense – could easily make them stronger than what they were last year. But at the end of the day, do you just see a lot of teams maybe keeping veterans regardless of, you know, whether there could be a cap casualty just because of this unique situation we're in right now? I I think your logic makes sense, right? If you have a veteran guy that, oh, we're going to cut him because we want to get younger, want to get a rookie more experienced, but that rookie didn't have training camp. You know, that rookie didn't have preseason games. You know, I think teams will know less about the younger players they have on their roster so they might rely more on the veteran that's been on the team that knows the system because there's just been so few practices, so few games, you know, there's no preseason. So like the first time any of these rookies, you know, step foot on an NFL field and go at it, it's going to be, it's going to count. Like, that's never been done before. So I just think, you know, you combine all that, it would make sense for teams to rely on veterans more so than like maybe the younger players. So maybe that does save some veterans jobs. I don't know. Now, recently, the NFL just came out with their top 100 players, and the number one player they put was Lamar Jackson. Do you agree with? Oh Lamar my God! <laughs> <laughs> wow. Do you agree with Lamar Jackson? Being I've been hearing this all day. 
you hear my radio show uh, I, this morning? I didn't get a chance to listen to your radio show, but I've been hearing the everybody's been flipping out about this. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I just was like, listen, I, I like Lamar Jackson. I'm not gonna knock him. I, he deserved the MVP last year. But anyone that you know watches football, if you could say to them, who's the best player in the NFL? They're, they're taking Mahomes. And any executive that's not taking Patrick Mahomes shouldn't be an executive or is being paid a lot of money to say they'd rather have you know Lamar Jackson or whatnot, right? So, uh, I mean, the list is what it is. I, I Full disclosure, I think the players vote on it at the end of the regular season. So mm-hmm. Mahomes was coming off that injury at the end there, and Lamar was obviously in full MVP mode. I wonder if they did the vote after the Super Bowl, if the results would still be the same. Probably not, but you know, we're all – in the moment and if you go on regular season sure you want to put Lamar one fine Mahomes at four though I mean it sounds weird but it's like all right if Donald's gonna be three Russell Wilson had also a great year so I I, listen Mahomes is one we all know it but I get the logic why players voted the way they did at that time you ask them now I think we all recognize Mahomes is gonna be number one yeah we are talking to Jake Asman host of the Jake Asman show you can catch it every Monday to Friday 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on the sports map radio network um, Jake, I want to switch over to the Astros, if that's okay. Um, I am one that I have no problem with the Kelly suspension. And the reason why I have no problem with the Kelly suspension is, as Clem leans back in his chair, which means he is not <laughs> happy with me right now. My logic is, is that I don't mind the hit of Bregman. Fine. But I feel like when you aim at Carlos Correa's head, that bothers me. That's a problem. And I think that this is going to become a recurring theme in Major League Baseball every time the Astros play. Now, listen, the Astros brought it upon themselves. I'm not saying the Astros are, you know, innocent of anything. They've, you know, they've cheated and they deserve, you know, they get plunked once in a while. But hedge, throwing at the head to me, that, that, that could end a career. And that's where I kind of draw the line. Um, what is your take right now? As I, I didn't get a chance to listen to your show, so I didn't really get your take on the whole Joe Kelly thing. A lot of players seem to be really – backing him, especially guys like Marcus Stroman came out today in his defense and everything. Um, what are your overall opinions of the whole situation? Yeah, so I have no issue with suspending him for something because I agree, you know, don't throw out a guy's head. The, the, the 3-0 pitch to Bregman, that was head hunting. You know, there's a way to do it, right? You throw out his backside. I think we all, you know, know how, how you know, in the history of baseball, we understand how they police themselves. So I agree. I'm never in favor of head hunting. That being said, though, my issue is with the amount of games. I think eight games is way too many. And I understand, hey, it's a pandemic. They don't want bench clearing brawls. They're trying to send a message. But it's a bad optic. Baseball should be concerned about the optics of the which uh, of which they handle themselves, they conduct themselves. I mean, Manfred bots the scandal from the beginning. That's the perception. I agree with that perception. And, you know, the fact that you're giving Joe Kelly eight games when not a single Astro player was suspended for cheating all their way to a World Series – it's a terrible look. If you suspend him for a game or two, I'm okay with that. And I'm sure it will be probably reduced in half, maybe to three games when he wins his appeal. But sure. I just think the optics of giving the guy eight games when he's a reliever and, you know, could probably pitch in five or six of those games, right? And, you know, it's eight games in a 60-game season, which is the equivalent of a 22-game suspension if it was a full 162. That's my issue with it. Headhunting, not a fan of it, but – we all could acknowledge that was highly entertaining. And Joe oh, of course Kelly, it was. I, no, I, of course I did. You know, Joe Kelly did something that's very that, enjoyable. Right. And, you know, and Joe Kelly did something that we all, you know, we're hoping he would do now. Don't go for the head next time, please. But as far as throwing at the Astros, I mean, you said it, Craig. They had this coming to them. What? I mean, it, Astro fans here in Houston are hilarious to me. They, like, hate Rob Manford. They're like, every team's doing it, too. We're just being made the scapegoat. And it's like, you should be loving Rob Manford. He didn't vacate your title. 
All you had to do was get rid of your manager and GM and your billionaire owner got fined $5 million and you lost a couple draft picks. But guess what? None of your players get any, any suspensions. And most importantly, technically that championship is still real. No one looks at it cleanly outside of Houston, but there's no asterisk there. Yeah, we put it there, but in the record books of baseball, the history books of baseball, 2017 World Series champs, still the Houston Astros. So I just – I don't understand why the Astro fans are so delusional. I get it defending your team, but it, you should see what I deal with on a, a day-to-day basis <laughs> down here by some and, and some of the media who are just shills for the yeah. team. But, um, I mean, listen, I, back to Kelly, it was – don't throw out a guy's head, but the fact that he did it, he's doing it because the vast majority of people in baseball feel like the Astros got away with it. You know, you mentioned Stroman. You mentioned, you know, players being outraged. And – they don't even have to deal with being booed on the road this year. So they, they basically have gotten every break possible after admitting to cheating in a scandal of which we've never seen in the sport before. Now, I want to continue baseball, but I just got some breaking news coming across ESPN. The SEC will play a 10-game conference-only schedule, and the start is going to be moved back to September 26th. Good move. Yeah, I, I like that. I agree. I we're going to like it as college football fans, I think, to, to not have the stupid, like, buy game where, you know, Alabama gets paid, you know, gives money to Troy to beat the crap out of them. Like, I think we'll like the fact that we'll just go right to conference games that matter from the beginning, you know? Yeah. That was the thing about because uh, when – I think it was the Big Ten was the first conference to go to a conference-only schedule. Bowling Green is supposed to play Ohio State this year. And Ohio State, I think, was paying them $3.5 million or something like that. And the thing is, without that $3.5 million, Bowling Green can't really fund a football team. So It just shows you the flaw in college football that, like, they need millions from other schools to basically be like, hey, here's some money if we can kick your ass. And it's like, yeah. oh, yes, where are we going? <laughs> it's, it's, that's, that, I love college football, but, like, it's so flawed when you have, like, you know, there's only realistically every year, like, 20 teams that can claim to have a chance of winning. Mm-hmm. Probably not even 20 if we're being honest. But, you know, it is what it is. People love it. I get it. <laughs> But to piggyback on Clemson, thing, the ACC now also, I think they went to a conference-only schedule, and now they've added Notre Dame. Yeah. Notre Dame is officially in the ACC for, I don't know if it's just for this year or they're going to eventually make it a, a long-term thing, but you think that hinders Notre Dame at the end of the day? Because Notre Dame played a pretty tough schedule to begin with when they were independents, playing like USC. They had Clemson on the schedule this year, if I remember right. And, um, you know, they played the usual suspects, Stanford, USC. Uh, I don't, they don't play Michigan anymore. But um, do you think that helps Notre Dame at all? Or do you think it pretty much hurts them? I think it helps them for this year because, like, who else were they going to play if the ACC yeah. didn't take them, right? I mean, they, they usually play a bunch of ACC opponents on their schedule anyway. But now, you know, you don't have the USC on the schedule. You mentioned, you know, they don't – you know, they used to play Michigan. You're not going to see that this year. So, I, I, I mean – I think it helps them because, like, they're, they're eligible to go to the ACC championship game, and, and it's one year. I don't think this will be a permanent thing because they love to be independent and get that NBC revenue all for themselves. Right. But, you know, for one year, the ACC, you understand why they took them in because, hey, Notre Dame, you play on NBC for one year, we got to get a part of that revenue. Get oh, a absolutely. So it, it, it's a win for both sides because, like, what option did Notre Dame have? I hope they still could play Navy. I know they're trying to, to figure out how to make that game happen. That's one of the you know, great traditions and. They were supposed to play Wisconsin. That's what it was. They're supposed to play Wisconsin at Lambeau Field this year. Yeah, which would have been which would have been a heck of a match too. Yeah. Um, to go back to baseball now, with you know the basically half the Marlins feel like they're getting tested positive for COVID nineteen. Do you think like this puts like MLB like in sort of like a hot spot because they might like 
cancel the season if it, like more people keep testing positive? I think it's concerning, but it's not season ending yet. We're not at that point yet. What will cause the season to shut down is if multiple teams at once have an outbreak. Because then you're talking about the logistics of, well, look what happened to the Phillies. A couple of their players tested positive. All of a sudden, their game tonight is now postponed. If this happens where, you know, you have one team in this division, another team in this division, and another team in the other division, all testing positive with an outbreak of 10 or more players, that to me is when baseball is like, all right, we can't do this anymore. We can't field teams. It's affecting travel of all these different teams throughout the country because it's a chain reaction. Like the Yankees had nothing to do with the Marlins, yet we're still impacted by them because they were supposed to play the Phillies and the Phillies had just played the Marlins. So that's the issue, right? One outbreak out of, you know, you know, 29 other teams going about it the right way, it's not going to shut down the sport. But if it happens at the same time to multiple teams, that could. So it's concerning. I hope guys take it seriously and wear masks, social distance, and just do everything possible to not get it because, you know, I think hopefully this Marlin situation is a wake-up call to all these players that maybe were like, ah, we're, we're invincible, we're fine, we're not going to get it. Like, you know, take it seriously so you can make your millions and we can watch baseball. That's one thing they were getting criticized for. I think I saw it in the Yankee games in the very beginning that they weren't really wearing masks in the dugout. They weren't really social distancing or anything like that. Now, look, it's hard to do that, obviously, in the dugout. But just the fact of wearing masks was the only guy who was wearing one was Clint Frazier and the managers. I mean, they weren't – nobody else was really wearing it. So, I don't know. I'm getting a weird vibe that the players really aren't taking it seriously or just some teams really aren't because maybe – I don't know what it is, but – it's pretty – it is a little alarming, and I'm not, I'm not just trying to single out the Yankees, of course. Plenty of other teams are doing it. It's not just, you know, not just them. Well, so far so good, really, up until this point, until this Marlins thing happened, right? I mean, even that day I saw when everyone's freaking out, oh, cancel the season, is over. And then baseball's like, well, hold on. They put out the results of their tests, and they didn't have a single player test positive on any of the 29 other teams. So we're not at that point yet. I, I do think you're right. You know, Craig, I, I think – Teams should wear masks when, when they're not able to socially distance, especially if you're in the dugout and you're not at bat or not in the field. You, know, you can put on your mask if, if, if you're near people. I think that's a no-brainer personally. But, you know, I, I think so far, give credit to the 29 other teams that have gone about it the right way. And I don't know if this is true, but this was a report that's out there. The Marlins apparently went out in Atlanta, and that's where that's they contracted the virus. That's on them. Like, they should be canceled on their own, not – you know, the 29 other teams that so far have gone about it. And the same thing with uh, – I just saw that with Rutgers the other day. Like, Rutgers football had a, had a bunch of co- positive tests because there was an off-campus frat party. Very yeah. fitting because I feel like if any Major League Baseball team would be a college and vice versa, it'd be the Marlins and Rutgers. <laughs> but getting back to the Astros, um, there seems – what's the latest on the injury to Justin Verlander? Because there seem to be a little bit – some conflicting reports um, – it was already had been right away reported he was going to miss the rest of the season. He has elbow has an elbow injury, but Verlander kind of shot that down really fast. Um, now they're saying it could be two weeks. What's the what's the latest on that? What's the uh, the updated um, timetable? Is he going to return this year? I guess is basically the main question. So I, when I saw he was out for the year, Chandler Chandler Rome, who who writes about the Astros, he's their main beat reporter for the Houston Chronicle. He said he had two people on the record. Or, or, or two, two sources close to Verlander that gave him, you know, that information. So what I think happened is, you know, Verlander didn't like that this got leaked out in the middle of a game and he wanted to probably, you know, not just assume the worst. But the reality is when you hear forearm strain, he's 37 years old, you know, it's a 60-game season. You hear all these factors. He's coming off groin surgery he had a couple months ago. I'd be very surprised if he pitches again this year. They're shutting him down for the next two weeks to see if it, you know, 
magically recovers. But you, you guys remember what happened with Luis Severino. It started off as, you know, a forearm strain, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's Tommy Johnny's out for the year. So I don't know if that's going to be the injury for Verlander, but, you know, you hear forearm strain, that's usually something with the elbow, and that's got to be concerning for, you know, for Verlander. And the reality is without Justin Verlander, the Astros just aren't the Astros. I mean, they already don't have Garrett Cole. Now they lose Justin Verlander. You know, they have an aging Zach Granke who's not even built up yet. And they have Lance McCullers, who's a nice pitcher, but he's still coming off Tommy John. So who knows, you know, what he'll be able to give you innings-wise as we move forward. So there's a ton of question marks for them. They can hit the baseball, but their bullpen is banged up. And then obviously if they don't have Verlander and they already we already know they don't have Garrett Cole, they're just yeah. not the same team. The Yankees would be the prohibitive favorites to, you know, come out of the American League if Verlander's done for the year. Now I'm going to – take this whole conversation and put it in a different direction. I saw you tweet. I saw one of the, your alumni from Ithaca got drafted into the PLL. So do you pay attention to the uh, premier lacrosse league now or? Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been following it. So Eli Goldbrad, who is a year older than me at uh, Ithaca college is, uh, you know, one of the, you know, he's a really, I mean, he's one of the better players in the league too, which is kind of crazy being, you know, a D3 guy. So I've always been a big lacrosse guy, you know, being from Long Island, a lot of my friends played the sport. Like my high school, Syosset was, was very good when I was a student. So, you know, my first like gig in sports media was like, you know, working for my high school radio station, like covering, you know, the Syosset athletic teams. Right. So I've always been a, a, a lacrosse fan. And, you know, the fact that like, you know, one of my friends is on TV a couple times a week right now, you know, playing lacrosse on NBC. I've been, I've been following it. Yeah. It's been fun to watch. I, I guess I'm a big archers fan now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like that's the same with me. One of, the guys I knew from LIU, he takes a face-off for Chrome. It's Connor Farrell. Like, I got to know him personally at school, and I'm like, oh, I'm all in on Chrome. Like, yeah. a big Chrome guy. I love I loved what Paul Rabel and the PLL have been doing. I think it's bringing lacrosse to the next level. I think it's smart what they've done. You know, yeah. they, they, they have done – they've gone about it the right way with good branding partners, doing a good job getting these games on TV, you know, promoting the league properly. They've done a really nice job. I don't know if lacrosse is ever going to be like one of the big sports in this country, but I think if any league has a chance to succeed, it'd be what the PLO is doing. Right. Jake, um, this is my last question. I think Clem's got one more, and then we know you got to go. Um, the NBA bubble, the NHL bubble right now have had zero positive coronavirus uh, cases, which is really awesome news to say the least. Um, we, you know, we all talk about, a lot of people seem to really like Adam Silver as the NBA commissioner, uh, not so much Gary Bettman. But my question at the other day is, do you think, because in the same time that they put the bubble together, Bettman also renegotiated the CBA for a few years, so there's not going to be any lockout or anything like that. Do you think Gary Bettman, at the end of the day, is a very underrated commissioner of, of any sports league? You know, think about it, though, right? Gary Bettman used to be the most hated commissioner. Then Goodell took that title for a while, and now it seems like Manfred has that title all over himself. <laughs> so, I mean, these things are always fluid, right? I mean, Adam Silver was getting some heat at, at, at various times for the China situation, the, the hypocrisy there with Daryl Morey before the season started. So all these guys, you know, take their, their hits, you know, but the reality is they're all working for the owners. So it's like it, – it, so I, I like to try and, like, you know, take a measured approach to – blame with commissioners but I think to your point on Bettman he deserves a lot of credit you know him and Donald Fear the the head of the NHL Players Association because you're right I mean not only did they get the bubble you know agreed upon and they're executing it and there's been no positive test it looks like it's gonna work it's, it's awesome oh, I, had, I was so happy to watch hockey yesterday I was, it was like it was, it was, it was bizarre, right you know yeah, Islander so, hockey so and, yeah I mean, it was weird when the Islanders scored a goal and they literally had everything they do at the Coliseum when they score and the Rangers too but, it was 
And so, like, to, I think hockey's done a really nice job over the last few years. And, and the biggest knock on Bettman has been, oh, look at all the lockouts he's overseeded. But you know, to get a six-year contract extension done for your CBA in the middle of a global pandemic, that's like – that's unheard of for hockey, right? I mean, <laughs> hockey of all sports is the most competent league right now. So it's, uh, it's, been, it's, it's been nice to see. And I think, yeah, to your point, maybe some of the stigma with Bettman maybe starts to change a bit. Or, you know, when we do go back to games, people will just boo him anyway because that's like the trendy thing to do, right? Everyone loves to, to boo Roger Goodell. We boo every commissioner. Yep. That's just how it goes. So I don't know. But I think, I think you make a good point with Bettman. He does deserve a lot of credit for how hockey's gone about it. All right, my last question. What's your favorite pizza place on Long Island? Ooh. So I was just back <laughs> in New York last week, uh, and I was, you know, very happy to be back because as much as I love Houston, you know, we got great barbecue, great Tex-Mex. I think I've told you guys this before. Pizza here, not good. So when I went back home, <laughs> I, was, uh, I was excited for a little Little Vincent's in Huntington. I don't know if you guys have been there. They're known for their, their cold cheese slice. I got that with my brother. Um, I went to Phil's Pizzeria in Syosset, another, uh, another popular spot. And I'm sure you guys have heard of this as big sports fans. Borelli's right by the Nassau Coliseum. Yep. Um, I got some pizza there as well. So those are three of my favorite spots. I hit them all when I was, uh, when I was back home. All right, good. Now I got to go try Phil's in Syosset. I've had Borelli's, I've had Lil Vincent's. Now I got to go try Phil's. Yeah, nice Phil's stuff. is awesome, man. And they have, great, um, they have great salads, too. They have really good, like, just everything. They have good, like, you know, uh, like meatball subs they do. So everything at Phil's is awesome. Now, do if, now if I go in there and mention your name, do I get, like, a discount or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You might have to pay off one of his debts. <laughs> good point, yeah. You do that and you let me know what they say. All right. <laughs> They'll be like, who? Like I know Jake Asbury, you wink. You'll be, be, be dragged out in handcuffs. <laughs> right. Jake, um, listen, we really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us today and talk some sports. You know, on a personal level with me doing the show for a few months, you've always been a good friend to us. You've always made the time for us. And, um, you know, I couldn't be more grateful for uh, just you helping me out and helping Clem out, uh, just getting the show out there for us. And, that's all I, I mean I really just appreciate you always taking the time to talk to sports with us we always love having you on and we always have some awesome conversations absolutely well guys I love being with you thanks for having me and you know best of luck with the podcast keep it going all right take care of yourself and we'll definitely have you on really soon especially as it gets closer to the season okay yeah absolutely we'll do it again soon and you know preview the Jets uh hopefully you know 11 and 5 go into the playoff season <laughs> and everybody clamoring for a gaze extension <laughs> let's let's hope we can have that conversation <laughs> take care of yourself Jake we really appreciate it man thanks a lot Craig Chris thanks guys talk to you soon all right take care of yourself that was the one and only Jake Asman, host of the Jake Asman Show. You can catch him every Monday to Friday morning, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on the Sports Map Network. Um, he also broadcasts on Facebook Live as well, so definitely check out his show. He always has some great guests, and, you know, his show kicks ass. And, you know, as like I said, on a personal level, he's always been a good friend to us. He's always really, re you know, he's always gone out for us and just kind of, you know, taking time to talk sports with us. And, um, you know, I'm very grateful for it. I'm always very appreciative of when we get the repeat guests on as always. So I'll have to do that spiel, you know, with, uh, you know, right. with Isaac on. <laughs> Christine, and, all, all, of, all of our. Yeah, Christine, you know, of course with Christine and everybody, but all kidding aside, you know, you know, it's one thing we, we love booking guests on the show, but it's another thing when we can get we, our guests coming back for a second, third, fourth time around just to come hang out with us. I mean, it, to me, it shows that that people really care, people really are interested, and they love hanging, they love kind of chatting sports with us. And, 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 and especially, you know, like when we took like a year off too, like when I hit up 
the Pisanos or Ike or even Jake again, they were like, yeah, no doubt. We'll come, I'll come back on the show. Anything. They were so willing to come back. And it, it really feels good that like, Oh, I'm really happy. Like they remembered us and like had a good time that they want to come back and do it too. Yeah. Like it was when I reached out to Christine about coming back. I mean, she was, and we only had her once on at that, at yeah. that point. Like, and I mean, like, you know, she's very busy, you know, with her, you know, acting and doing all this other stuff. She's got a cool, she's got a new cooking show now on YouTube, which is, which is pretty awesome. And, you know, when I reached out to her, she was super, super awesome. She's such a sweetheart. And, um, you know, she came on and we had a kick-ass interview with her too. And that was, you know, I mean, sometimes it's just the little things like that. I mean, you know, we love having guests and we've, you know, we've expanded our, you know, reaching out to other guests in the last week. We had Mark Salino on from Statement Games. We had Chrissy Freud on from USA Today to cover, to talk Titans and LSU football. We've had, you know, we've gotten to the point now where we're booking a guest a show and, you know, it's, it's a really cool thing. And, you know, I ask myself a lot of times, are people hearing about us? Are people, you know, but it's pretty awesome. And again, but without guys like Jake Asman, without guys like Isaac Feldman, Christine Nguyen, the Pisanos, those guests taking multiple turns to be on our show is just, you know, very, we're very grateful for it. Like, yeah, like, like I wanted, I was trying to like figure out if we can get a new guest, like coming in the city, like you said, like we're trying to have like new guests on every week. I was like, you know, let's go with an oldie, oldie, but in our, one of our favorites, Jake, you know, he started off the, when we, when we started doing it here at A1, he was the first guy we called up and he was like, yeah, no doubt I'll be there and within a heartbeat. And Jake was the guy who put me in touch with Isaac. I knew Isaac from CBS Sports Radio, but I didn't really have any contact info for him. And Jake put me in touch with Isaac. And then Isaac, you know, Isaac and I started talking. And that's when we, you know, he started coming on the show with us as well. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's nice to know. Like, and you and I are always very appreciative of it. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they come on and just hang out with us just for spending time out of their day means the world to me. It, It helps the A1 network, of course. And that's the most important thing. And the funny thing is tomorrow, well, I'm working on it right now, although I, it's not confirmed yet. We're, we're trying to figure it out. We, uh, we may have uh, Bob Condotta, who, is a, who covers the Seahawks for the Seattle Times. He might join us tomorrow to talk about Jamal Adams. But I also want to hear about the Seahawks roster as well. I mean, Jamal Adams is obviously the big focal point. But, you know, I want to hear about the Seahawks roster in general. I want to see, like, you know, you know what the line is going to look like this year to protect Russell Wilson, you know. Right stuff like how big of an impact you know with guys like dk metcalf tyler lockett philip dorsett was a big signing for them this year so uh we might have it we will post it on our facebook and everything tomorrow if not it'll probably push back to next week but again jake asman show monday to friday 9 a.m to 11 a.m on the sports map radio network he is based out of houston covers the texans but he's a big jets and yankees guy and always talks new york sports with us so all right so getting back to what i was saying before we had before jake came on we were talking about the mets a little bit and I was almost doing a victory lap for Robinson Cano having a two-game hitting streak. <laughs> and, you know, at the end of the day, what always will bother me about the Met fan is, is that the team is a 500 team right now. Mm-hmm. They're three and three. They are in second place, and only because the Miami Marlins aren't playing right now, so their winning percentage is better at two and one, because <laughs> they won the only series they played. So... Met fans just have got to stop and they've got to just chill out. And it, it, after a while, man, like, and that's what I said, like, that's one thing. Like I, I read Twitter now more for the breaking news and stuff. And I try to post more frequently and I've definitely been getting some, you know, feedback and stuff, which has been pretty cool. But 
the minute something happens in a game, they just like, they, they fall apart on Twitter. It's just like, oh, Celeste was horrible. And Celeste was, you know, pathetic. And it was this and that. And I'm like, and it's just like, look, if there's one thing I hate about the loss is the fact that they wasted at the ground start. Yeah. Like, you can't waste the ground starts. Okay. I don't know what it is about ace pitchers that come here, but the Mets never seem to hit for them. Yeah. Let's say Hannah pitched every fifth game, every fifth day, the Mets never hit for him either. I don't get what it is. And that's just what's infuriating about it, you know? And look, last night, Lugo was the guy who screwed the pooch. He gave up the tying home run to Christian Vasquez, and then Wilson kind of fell apart in the eighth inning. To criticize Luis Rojas in such a condensed season is really kind of nitpicking. I've always been – I've actually been a fan of what he's, what he's doing. And outside of that – you can always second guess because everybody thinks they're a manager in hindsight. If Lugo got through a one, two, three inning, no one would care about Lugo. Yeah. But here's a few things that I've kind of picked up on so far in the first week of Rojas as manager. Number one, I'm getting a vibe that he's feeling things out with the lineup. Yeah. Nobody has a set role. That is good and bad. I think if McNeil thrives in the leadoff spot, then he should be a leadoff hit. Now, Rosario may have more speed than McNeil. I don't really know. That could be the reason why he's putting Rosario in the, in the top spot. Right. Um, but you, you notice, like, Conforto one day was hitting third, then he went down to fifth. You know, then he went back to the fourth spot. Ramos was fourth at one point. Now he's back down to seven. Cano is pretty much hanging around the sixth or seven hole, you know, so which is fine. But by the end of the week, you know, you, you really got to have a set line. Like, let's just have – like, yesterday, Andres Jimenez played, had a great game. Went two for three, had a couple of hits and everything. He's been playing good. I like yeah. it. The second thing I've noticed about them is he doesn't have the confidence in Familia that you think. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is all during the extended spring training and even the spring training before the pandemic suspended the season, all I kept hearing about was how Familia has lost a lot of weight and he's had a you know, nice, like, you know, his pitches look sharp and everything like that. And he pitched the first game, the, uh, the one, the Grom game, and he pitched really well. He pitched the other game against the Red Sox. I think it was on Monday and or Tuesday and he gave up two runs and in a game they were winning eight to one or six to one whatever it was he pitched yesterday and had pitched an inning didn't give up a run but they were down by three runs Mm -hmm. so it's it's really hard to gauge what Rojas is thinking of Familia right now so there's that normally if he had confidence in Familia I think Familia would have pitched a seventh and then maybe after that, you, f- you figure it out with Lugo or Batanzas. If Batanzas is your eighth inning guy, though, you got to go to Batanzas. That's the guy. Mm-hmm. Because Wilson is more of a lefty specialist. He's not a guy that you're going to throw out there all the time to pitch to three batters. Normally, Wilson would just be, okay, get the lefty out, and then we're going to bring in Batanzas. Right. But what's done is done. And now the worst part is that Wilson is probably not going to be available tonight because he's pitched back-to-back days. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I have to say is it's been one – Diaz has one save, one blown save, and two appearances. I'm getting a weird vibe that he's losing faith in him. And he's losing confidence in him early. And the thing is, is that Diaz, Diaz has not pitched since that Saturday. So you're talking Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We're on our fifth day. Now. Diaz has to pitch today regardless. Mm-hmm. If the Mets are losing 12 to nothing, you need to pitch him. Because yeah. you got to keep him fresh. You can't keep him, can't keep him on the bench. Yeah. But the thing is, is that you need to make a decision very soon if Diaz is not going, if he cannot close, you got to get him out of the way. Then, if he gives you a second save tonight, 
then you move forward with it. But it's got to be a point where you got to hand the reins over to a guy like Seth Lugo if Seth Lugo is going to be the closer. Yeah, no, I I absolutely agree. And like I said, like I think just due to the COVID and everything like that, it kind of like he has to like test everything on the run as as, like the season's going on because that's why we keep seeing, you know, the lineup being changed every other night. We see, you know, different relief pitchers coming in in different innings. Like we saw Lugo come in the – fifth one night and then we saw him close it out another night like he's testing it out to see what it is and I definitely agree with you that I think Edwin Diaz is on a short leash because we saw him blow seven has to be you can't the thing is the Met fans aren't going to tolerate you waiting it out I can understand that this was a rebuilding year and your team wasn't going to be very good but the fact is is Edwin Diaz is killing you exactly I'm trying to like listen I'm trying to be positive with the whole Kalenic stuff because quite frankly, I'm sick of Met fans talking about it on, on all the social media pages. I've had enough. If you don't like Jared Kalenic, if you don't like Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz, it's fine. But it's like, you got to get over it. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. what, I mean, are you literally going to sit here and just constantly complain about it on social media? I mean, when does it, when is enough enough? Yeah. Like, look, I, at the time Diaz was the big part of the deal. That's what you were really trading for. He was the best right-handed closer in baseball at that time. Which, at, like I said, at that moment, I thought it was a great trade. Like, yeah, I didn't really want Cano's contract, but, like, if Cano could hit 240 and crack 20-plus home runs and 80-plus RBIs, I was fine with that. I was fine but, with that. What I found very alarming about the people ripping the trade, and I'm talking about the Joel Shermans of the world and all that stuff, is it's like, well, the Mets don't need a closer. They're not that close. I'm like, well, I disagree. They need a closer. Mm-hmm. Like, because if you have a really good closer – you're going to win a lot of games because you have a lights-out closer. And Edwin Diaz saved over 50 games for the Seattle Mariners. Yeah. So the thing is, is like, I think that's a little misleading. and I think it's a little lazy. Yeah, you, I mean, can call Brody, you can call Brody Van Wagen and reckless all you want. But the thing is, like, here's the problem I had, right? So people were ripping Brody on Twitter the other day. And the thing I came back to was, okay, I'm not saying he's not a perfect general manager. I mean, he's made a couple of bonehead moves. You know, the Jed Lowry signing looks really bad because he hasn't played one game for us. I still think the Cano and Diaz trade is it's too soon to grade. But at the end of the day, they're here. Kalinic is not. Get over it. Um, you know, the Familia was not my first choice for the bullpen. I would have rather had an Adam Adovino. I really liked Adam Adovino for the Mets. I thought he would have made perfect sense. And, of course, Adovino goes to the Yankees. So there are a couple of things that – Brody has not done well. But let's take a look at the things that Brody has done well. Mm-hmm. For starters, one of the most underrated signings that have happened under his tenure is Justin Wilson. Mm-hmm. Justin Wilson has been a very good reliever for the Mets. He has not had a game like he had yesterday in a long time. Now, granted, he missed a half of the season because he was hurt. But still, when he came back, he was very strong. So there's that. The second thing is he got the DeGrom extension done for literally half of what it would have cost them today. The mm-hmm. Grom would have been wanting Garrett Cole money right now if we had waited that out. And I'm sure DeGrom is kicking himself a little bit for not maybe waiting it out. But what's done is done. And Brody got that done. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to give him credit for it, but the fact is Brody got that deal done. Okay? So there's that. The J.D. Davis trade, though, was a very strong move by the Mets. The Pete Alonso, you know, basically saying, look, if he wins it, he wins it. That's on Brody. You can rest assured if that was Sandy Alderson, Alonso would have been sitting in AAA for two weeks before yeah. he came back up. Okay? I think he's made some good moves, 
And I think at the same time, people have to give him a little bit of a break. Yeah, I think Wilson Ramos has been a good move for the Mets. Wilson Ramos has been a great move. I loved it. I loved. I I think it was great. Yeah, you sacrificed the defense a little bit, but when your catcher is hitting like two seventy, cracking twenty home runs, I'll take that any day of the week. I'll take that. Dela Batantis. Dela Batantis was a good move for the Mets. I mean, Waka had a Waka's off to a good start. He had a very strong outing the other in his first outing. David Peterson too. But you can't sit there like, for example, Porcello had one bad outing. We cannot sit here and cripple. Brody for this. I, people have to realize that Porcello was not meant to be the third guy in our rotation. Porcello was supposed to be the fifth guy in our rotation. So it, on that end, it's like, yeah, he's the fifth guy in our rotation. It's okay if he sucks it up every now and again. You know, but people are looking at, oh, he's pitching him every third day. This is terrible. Oh. Like, how, like, you gotta, people have here's to realize thing. that. Here's what the one thing Met fans need to understand. And again, I hate to play this card, but I'm going to play it. And the reason why I'm going to play it is it's very important. They do not have Noah Syndergaard. They do not have Marcus Stroman. Okay? And the fact is, that is a huge deal. Marcus Stroman getting hurt right before the start of the season is a huge blow to the team. And that is not the Mets' fault. It's not, all oh, typical Mets. They're you know, slipping on a banana peel again. Nothing like that. The fact is, the guy was pitching in a simulated game, and he took a line drive off his calf, and he tore his calf muscle. Okay? It had nothing to do with his pitching arm. And nothing to do with him falling down the stairs or falling down the dugout steps. He got hurt off a line drive. It's a freak accident. That's what happens. Yeah. But we've got to stop killing. The, the team is a 500 ball club right now, which quite frankly is what a lot of people kind of expected them to be. Yeah. Maybe a few wins over. They win. They should. They need to win tonight. Like yeah. they, I think they need to win before they go to Atlanta. But right now, I mean, I'm, I really like Luis Rojas. I really like the direction the Mets are going in. But the problem is you listen to the freaking Evan Roberts's of the world, and they're the ones that are on, like, social media with their, like, hundreds of thousands of followers. And they're like – and all they do is just rip this team to shreds. So yeah. everybody just – everybody's a bunch of sheep, mm-hmm. and everybody just falls in line. And, see, I, I like Evan Roberts, too. I really like Evan. But you can't jump – He's a He's a whiner. He whines about the Jets. He whines about the Mets. And you know what he does? It's his own fault. I mean, he names his son Jet. <laughs> so it's like, dude, like, if you're going to rip the team to shreds, why would you name your kid after them? <laughs> well, that's like, um, do you know KFC from Barstool? Yeah. He rips, he rips the Mets every day. day na- named his daughter Shay. See what I mean, though? It's just like <laughs> – but it's like it's easy to have the platform, and to me it's lazy. Nobody really thinks the whole thing through. Like I said, the Mets are not 1-5. They're not 0-6. They're 3-3. Three and three. Yeah. Exactly. Which is kind of where I expected them to be, to be really honest. Because they never play well against Atlanta. And Boston, Boston is Boston. They don't have pitching, but they have hit. Like, I'm not going to lie. When I saw the 14, when we lost, got blown out by the Braves the other day, I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. I was annoyed because basically it was like, you could tell the Mets had kind of quit. Yeah, and I'm like, and I was ready to jump off the cliff. But I was, off the cliff, but I was like, let me take a step back. It's only three games in. I got to relax. I got to control myself here. Like, and it was funny because I think it was Howie Rose made a great point on Twitter. He said, I wonder if Brandon Workman would have been able to get out of that jam if there were 30,000 people at City Field. It's tough, man. You really you know, know. Not having the fans is kind of a big deal. I mean, it's kind of a big deal to teams like the Mets, I think. Teams that are on the cusp of being good, they're not the Yankees, they're not elite by any stretch, but sometimes having that fan, you know, that fan influence is big. Yeah, it, de- it definitely is. 
it without a doubt is. And to go back to your point on, you know, trading for Edwin Diaz and all like, oh, you don't really need a closer. You're not that close. Having an elite closer is so detri- is so huge to, to have for a good team, whether you're good or bad. You know, you look, I'm, not gonna, I'm not comparing Edwin Diaz to Mariano in whatsoever, but if the Yankees were going into, like, the bottom of the ninth or top of the ninth, three to two, you knew they were going to win because Mariano was just that good. He was lights out, and that's what a, an elite clo- being having a great closer means to your team because you can feel confident going into the last inning, three to two or two to one, whatever it is, and feel just feel amazingly confident that Edwin Diaz, Seth, whoever it is, is going to close out this game. I had a feeling Brian uh, Robinson Cano is not going to be in the lineup tonight. I was so convinced because he's played every game since they started. You got to so Brian, Brian Dozier is actually uh, he's playing second base tonight, batting seven. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I mean, See, I, but again, I, I don't like McNeil batting third. I, I I think he's the more you keep bouncing this guy out of position, he's going to struggle. He needs to be in a spot. I think he should be the leadoff hitter. That's just my overall opinion. I I like him at the three spot. I don't know how I feel about Rosario at the at the one. I think if I had to make the lineup right now, I think you, I would do Nimmo at one, Alonzo two, McNeil three, Cespedes four, uh, Cano five, Ramos six, uh, JD – no, let me rephrase that. JD six, Ramos seven, uh, I don't even remember. Rosario nine and DH whoever. At, Dom, honestly, Dom Smith needs to be in this right. lineup more. Hold Rosario on. Alonso. Tonight's lineup is Rosario Alonso, McNeil, Davis, Conforto, Cespedes, Dozier, Ramos, and Nemo. You know what annoyed me the other night? I forgot which game it was. It might have been either the Braves or the Red Sox game. And Ed, they had Eduardo Nunez DHing, and it was like the bottom of the ninth, and we were down by like one run or whatever it was. I'm like, why is Luis Rojas not sending up Dom Smith to go against this righty pitcher? It makes the perfect sense. We need a base hit. A base hit would have knocked him, knocked in the tying run or winning run. The other thing I'm going to say on that is, is that eventually, if Cespedes continues to struggle, I think you have to sit him for Dom as a DH. Mm. I think you got to figure out something with Cespedes. Cespedes, listen, he has two home runs already this year, but he's still hitting under 200. Yeah. So the thing is, is like, look, I, I love having Cespedes in the lineup, and I know it's going to take these guys a little time. It's only been six games. So these guys are not, you know, they're still kind of getting their feet out from under them. Yeah, it, like, if we, if we can get – 250 out of Cespedes, I'll take that because I know he's going to hit the – I know he's going to produce with the home runs. If he can get like 250, I'll be fine. Um, speaking of baseball, we were talking about it with Jake a little bit. As you know, you mentioned it with the Marlins having all those guys testing positive and stuff, and now the Phillies have started to show a couple of positive cases. So their series with Toronto was canceled mm-hmm. this weekend. And this is what concerns me. And, you know, Jake made a really good point, but I'm just going to kind of say something else. Um, it's almost like a weird way. It's an omen. It's an omen telling you that this is not a good idea. And I mean, listen, there were plenty of people who loved having a 60 game season and I'm okay with it for the most part, because, you know, I just, I love having baseball back and I give Manfred an A for effort to try to get the season going. But if you get more people testing positive on the Phillies, mm-hmm. you're going to have to shut down the season. There's no yeah. way you'll be able to continue. You know, you can't continue when two teams are showing, are showing signs. You just can't. And I respect, you know, what Manfred is doing, and I, I know the players really want to go and play, and I think that's awesome. But, you know, if the Marlins were stupid, then that's on the Marlins. So mm-hmm. that's on them. But 
right now, and again, this is what we talk about, Clem. You know, this is why I get so frustrated with people in general. I get frustrated with this country because, you know, they don't embrace how serious this pandemic is. They think that just because they wake up every day healthy, that it's never going to get to them. So let me go do whatever I want to do. And then what happens? They get sick. And that's the problem. There's no national testing strategy coming, folks. There's no plan. It's basically nothing. Nothing is coming from the federal government. They're not going to do anything to help us. We're literally being asked to navigate this on our own. Because if there was a strategy, we've already had it implemented. And that's a fact. Yep. So the thing with me is, is that teams have to start taking this seriously. Yankee players are seen in the dugout not wearing masks, right next to each other and all that stuff. That's how serious this is, man, because nobody knows how people are getting it. They just – they know that people are getting it. Even when you saw the Astros and Do- uh, Dodgers clear benches the other day, I would say a good 80% of the guys who came out on the field were wearing masks. Yeah, and the thing is, the only guy who's not wearing a mask – the only guy who is wearing a mask on the Yankees is Clint Frazier. Mm-hmm. But my thing is, is that you, you can't – you can't – you got to take this seriously. If you guys want to continue to play baseball, this needs to be taken seriously. Just like the NFL, the bubble, the NHL bubble got it right. The NBA bubble looks like they got it right too. There have been no positive cases since those teams went in the bubble. And they're able to play hockey and everything seems to be in the up and up. And this is why I was asking Jake if if Gary Bettman is an underrated commissioner. Because you can hate the guy all you want, but the guy gets the job done. Same thing with uh, Adam Silver. I think Adam Silver is one of the best commissioners in yeah. all of sports. And he's listen, de- they take their lumps. Don't get me wrong. Silver's taking his fair share of lumps. So is Bettman and Goodell and everything. But Bettman and Silver, I mean, everybody praises Adam Silver, but nobody gives the credit to Gary Bettman. Yeah. Bettman's been the commissioner for a long time. And he's done his job pretty well, whether you liked it or not. Yeah, like it or not, he got, he got hockey back. And so did Adam Silver. They both got their, their respective sports back with zero positive cases. That, that's incredible. You know, yeah. and, and the fact that, you know, man, for, it's unfortunate that most of the, Mar, like a good portion of the Marlins got po- tested positive. It stinks. But this is what happens when, you know, you don't play right. And I think Manfred did a, didn't do a good job doing it. Um, some quick notes. The Knicks officially hired Tom Thibodeau to be their new head coach. He gets a five-year deal. Um, everybody seems to love it. Um, I'm not a okay. fan. Okay. Not a fan. My thing is, is like, look, again, I don't know what the Knicks are. So if, you, if the Knicks have a plan to go into the offseason, if the Knicks do something like recruit Chris Paul, that's exactly what's wrong with the Knicks. Mm-hmm. Because now the Knicks are going to go from, well, we're going to rebuild, and then they got impatient with the rebuild, so then they turned around, and now they're going to go back to what they do. There's even talk about them bringing back Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> you see what I mean? It's just like there's no really strategy. Yeah. And Thibodeau, to me, is going to have a, a bad effect on the youth. I, I really believe that. If the Knicks are going with a youth movement, this is not the guy to coach the team. No, it's absolutely not. We've both said it back and forth that Kenny Atkinson should be the next coach for the New York Knicks. Yeah. I, he's, I think- he's won a title in Boston with Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and everything. He did a serviceable job. He did a good job in Minnesota. But, again, those guys kind of tuned him out. That's why he's not there anymore. (laughs) That's why he's not there anymore. I mean, guys like Wiggins and the younger players, I think, if I remember right, I think they tuned him. They just got tired of him after a while because he's a a drill sergeant. Yeah. He's a drill sergeant coach. And 
you're talking about young guys like R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, um, uh, what's his name? Frank Milikina, if he's still on the team. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are just a couple of guys to name a few. But, you know, these, is this the core you're building around going into this season, next season? And we don't know. Yeah, it's, I don't think Thibodeau was the right move. I mean, I feel like even with the Larry Fisdale, that they wanted to get a guy who would attract free agents, you know? And Larry, I think that was one of the main reasons why Larry Fitzdale was hired as the coach. It's and obviously clearly that didn't work. And I think that's what they're doing now. They want to try and get guys like you mentioned, like uh, like Chris Paul or whoever else. I don't even know any of the other big free agent names coming up. But Chris Paul seems to be the the most popular guy coming out in the free agency. And if if they get him to just go after him, it's a bad. You have young talent, Mitchell Robinson. You have young talent like Mitchell Robinson, R.J. Barrett. Uh, the list goes on Julius Randle. You need a guy like Kenny Atkinson who you saw develop the Nets into a comparable franchise where they got guys like Kevin Durant and Kyrie and DeAndre Jordan saying, hey, I want to go play in Brooklyn instead of MSG. Yeah. Um, Yannick Ngakwe officially holding out today, uh, has not reported to Jags camp. However, since he has not signed his franchise tender hmm. or anything, technically speaking, he's a man without a job because – He's not under the – apparently he's not under the rules of the, of the whole thing where – like Adams was. If Adams is under contract and he holds out, then he has, he's subject to the fines and the year right. – he loses the year of free agency. And Gakwe hasn't signed his tender yet. So technically speaking, it's not that he's a free agent, but – and he could sign another team, but that team has to cough up a first and a third, I think, to get – or two first-round picks or something really extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And that. Um, the only thing I can think of is two things. Either one, Ngakwe is just going to wait till week one and show up. Mm-hmm. Or two, the Jaguars told him to stay home and they're working on a deal. It's the only, those are the only two options, in my opinion, that make sense. Because he doesn't want to be there. He's made it publicly known he doesn't want to be there. The Jaguars know he doesn't want to be there. And the fact is, is that right now, we just, you know, we don't know what to make of the situation. Right. So the only logical situation, the only logical solution I could think of is the fact that either the Jags are working on a deal to move him or he's just going to show up week one. Now, Maida today was pushing now, you know, when he goes into caps mode, that's like Maida means business. Um, He was pushing now for the, now all of a sudden he's off Jamal Adams and now he's pushing to, for the Jets to go get Ngakwe. I mean, That's new thing. I, I will say, he's, I, I don't think he's wrong in trying to get the Jets to go after Ngakwe. I don't think he is, but here's the funny thing. Jet fans think he's wrong. See, I don't think he's wrong at all. Neither do I. I don't have a problem with it because, honestly, if I can trade a couple of draft picks, I'm not trading two of my, either of my ones. Yeah, no way. Because I want, I want those. And the Jaguars are going. The Jaguars are going to try to fleece the Jets. And as soon as it gets to that point, you cut off all conversation. You're like, I'm good with what I'm at, and I'll just take it from there. Like I trust Douglas. If if he if he's been in talks with the Jaguars, I have 100 percent trust in what he. Here's did. the problem with Ngakwe. You're in the you're in the same boat that you were with Jamal Adams. So basically, if you pay Ngakwe a lot of money, mm-hmm. then it's going to look like you really didn't want Jamal Adams. Right. And it's going to look – and then Jet fans are going to be annoyed. And the first thing they say is, well, why didn't they pay Jamal Adams? I'm, I'm in like a Twitter war with some douche on that commented on Maida's article today. 
And he was going on and on about how the team doesn't spend money and the team doesn't spend money, right? Okay. When we've spent money, where has it gotten us? Nowhere. Do we need to go back to 2015? Like when he said, when they brought in Brandon Marshall, they brought in, when Jake came on, they brought in Revis, they brought in all these guys. They didn't even make the playoffs. They went 10 and six under Bowles in his first year. Only to, only to see it, you know, lose. They lose to Rex in Buffalo on the last day of the season. They gave Fitzpatrick good money in his second year. He was a bust. Then when they brought in, uh, they brought in Gase under the first year under Adam Gase, they go out and they get C.J. Mosley. They go out and get Le'Veon Bell. They go out and get Jamison Crowder. The year before that, they get Tremaine Johnson. Where's it gotten us? Nowhere, unfortunately. Where's it gotten us? It's one, you don't, just because you have a cap doesn't mean you have to spend all of it. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, and that's what these fans don't understand. You can spend all the money in the world all you want. But the fact is, if you do not draft well, your team will be consistently mediocre. Mm-hmm. It will always be hovering around 6-10 and 10 or 7-9. and nine. They'll give you a little jolt in the beginning, and then you're going to be paying out your ass in a few years where you can't get rid of the contract. The Jets had to eat money on Tremaine Johnson. That's how bad he was. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, is, my issue is, first of all, People who say the Jets don't spend money are dopes because the Jets always spend money. They just spend it wisely. There is such a thing as spending money wisely. You don't have to hemorrhage the cap just because you're a hundred million under. Sometimes by making the smart decisions. And the thing is though, if you don't hit on the draft picks, you're done. Yeah. And the thing is in 2019 under Gates, they had Quinn and Williams, you know, just to name, you know, they had Trevon Wesco and all these other guys I'd never, you know, never heard of. But the thing is, we don't know how good these guys are. Play Cashman. He showed some flashes last year, but then he got hurt. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have a second-round pick last year because of Darnold. So that was another thing. The third round, they took Chuma Adoga, which is the first lineman I think McCagnan has taken in any draft since he was the general manager. I mean, that's very telling. That's more telling than the fact the Jets don't spend money. Let's not forget he drafted Ja'Kaia Polite, too. Exactly. I mean, it, it just, you know, again, if you don't hit on the draft picks, your team is never going to be successful. You can hemorrhage money all you want. And the thing is, there's no strategy. I signed a middle linebacker, a running back, and a wide receiver. That was his strategy. Never addressed cornerback, never addressed offensive line, never addressed pass rusher. Yeah. Like, I get it. Yeah, we needed a running back, so Le'Veon kind of made sense, and I wasn't mad with the Le'Veon signing at all. Mostly, I'm not sure it made sense, but I love C.J. Mosley, so I was really happy they got him. Yeah, exactly. But they had no pass rush. They had no – absolute no pass rush last year. Like, last year I wanted – oh, my God, who was the free agent? Who last was- year in the draft, I wanted Chase Winovich. That was my guy. I, I saw that guy. I was like, I know that guy's going to be good. And the Patriots freaking drafted him. I forgot who who was the DN from Jacksonville last year who was a free agent. It wasn't Ngakwe. Oh, uh, Calais oh. Campbell. I think it was oh, him. He got, traded. he got traded. No, some there was someone else on oh, the Josh Jack- Allen. Josh Allen. Yeah, Josh Allen. That was a guy I wanted drafted too because they need it was a necessity. We needed a pass rush. We needed a pass rusher. Like I, the the Quinn and Williams draft didn't make any sense. C.J. Mosley didn't make any sense. I'm, I'm happy he's here. Don't get me wrong. I love C.J. Mosley. But we had Adrian Williamson. We didn't need another linebacker. So it's all these signings and draft picks. They really didn't make any sense. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, again, Jet fans just want to spend the money. They're, they want to go out and get DeAndre Hopkins and give up all this draft capital. But 
What if we get DeAndre Hopkins and then don't address anything else? We're right yeah. back to where we started. Like the one thing I really wish he did address this off that Douglas did address this offseason was the the pass rushing thing. Yeah, he got uh Bigger uh, or however pronounce his name. I think they're hoping, but the thing is also it's about developing. It's about developing players. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, guys like Terrell Basham really showed some potential, so we need to build on that. Yeah. The more that guy gets gets plays in the defense, the more he's going to make plays. Mm-hmm. A lot of those guys, you mentioned Kyle Phillips when we were talking to Jay. You know, guys like Foley, Fatukazi, Nathan Shepard, these guys all were put in, and they did decent. Yeah, guys like Arthur Mollett, guys like Bless Austin. The more these guys get reps in the system, the better they're going to get. But we have to start developing. We don't develop anybody. Everybody says, "Well, the Jets have the worst wide receivers in the league." Yeah, but I want to see them develop Braxton Berrios. I want to see them develop Vincent Smith. These are guys I want to see developed. One guy I've been loving his development ever since we drafted him has been Jordan Jenkins. I think he's been yeah, he's one of the most been, underrated pass rushers I think in the NFL. I know, he, and, and I know it says something really strange, you know, because he only had like seven sacks this year, but still, for an outside linebacker to get seven sacks is pretty impressive. And again, you know, everybody just jumped on Jamal Adams as nuts when he was had six and a half sacks last year. Like, oh my god, we can't get rid of this guy. And it was against two teams. Yeah. It was against two teams: the Giants and the Redskins. That's it. There was nobody else. Well, there was one guy I got into an argument with on Facebook. He was like, oh, well, you know, I was like, because I was just talking about the trade in general, and I was talking about, like, you know, Bradley McDougal and Jamal Adams, they relatively have the same stats, except for Jamal Adams had sacks. And one guy was just like, oh, well, you forgot to mention Jamal Adams had two touchdowns. I was like, two, the one was a Bray Charles could have made that pick six against the Patriots, okay? No, and it was in a blowout. So the thing is, like, my thing about Jamal Adams is, like, I don't doubt what the guy puts on the field, but I don't see these impactful plays that people see. I, I must be missing something. Yeah. That Jared Stidham pick six was they were down 30-7. to seven. Yeah. Like I said, Ray Charles could have made that interception. Like, anyone with a – the right tool. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, literally. Like, Literally, like it wasn't that impressive. But I will say that the the Daniel Jones strip sack of touchdown was was very impressive. I will say that I got to that live. But listen, it's okay to not like the trade. I'm not saying you don't you don't have to love the trade. But the thing is, for the Jets to walk away with two first round picks, a third round pick this year, and they get a starting safety to replace Adams, mm-hmm. that's a pretty freaking good deal. And I don't think any other team was going to match that offer. No, it definitely. I think wasn't. the Seahawks got a little desperate because, you know, again, you're going up against the Niners with Garoppolo, and you know how and the, the you know they were the NFC uh, representation. They were one bad pass away from being a Super Bowl champion. Yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo overthrew. I think it was Emmanuel Sanders. He overthrew him. He overthrew him by like five yards. Emmanuel Sanders makes that catch. I think the Niners win the Super Bowl. Yeah, it, it's very close, at least you right. know. Then you have Arizona with Kyler Murray, Kenyon Drake, Christian Kirk, DeAndre Hopkins, and even Larry Fitzgerald. It's a pretty loaded offense right there. Mm. The Rams. You know, Goff, I, I'm not, I don't love Goff. He's not my favorite. But Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, I mean, these guys are good players. And the Seahawks going to have to keep an eye on them. I mean, but I, I mean, again – the fact that you don't see, like, the forest for the trees, again, Jet fans, just pisses me off so much. Because all you do is sit there and bitch and moan all the time and the team doesn't do well. And the thing is, this is one of the few times that Jet fans are in this altogether belief that Douglas is on the right path. 
They, this is one of the few times, Clem, I can honestly say that the, the fans feel confident they have their guy. Same. I, I, no, I 100% agree with you. Like, like I feel so – I have so much confidence in this front office. And this is the first time I've felt like this in a really, really long time. But, again, it's just like you cannot throw money at the problem all the time. In football, it doesn't work that way. You have to be able to develop. You have to be able to draft, you know, you know quality players. If you look at the Jets' drafts over the past eight to nine years, they are horrible. Horrible. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, if, they don't, if they're not last, they're 31 in, in ranking them. It, it, I'm sure the 2019 draft is going to have its fair share of duds. You know, for the Jets, you know, I don't know if Cashman makes the team. What's Trevon Wesco? I mean, what is his role? I mean, nobody knows. You know, Polite's not even on the team. I mean, what does that tell you? I mean, think about how bad it is. The third round pick didn't even make the team. Yeah. The guy didn't even show up to meeting. He was always late to meetings. Like, the guy had no respect for the franchise that drafted him. I mean, what was McCagnan smoking when he did this draft? And I mean, again, the one guy that every you know people piss on Gase all the time. You know who he wanted as a free agent? Matt Paradis, the center from Denver, when he was a free agent. McCagnan didn't even make him an offer. So I ask myself, really, at the end of the day, is this? I mean, how much is this really on Adam Gase? I don't, think I don't know. And you know, one thing I like about it too. Let's not forget, Douglas. I mean, Gase got Douglas the job. Du- Gase got Douglas here. Like this is. This, and the thing is, they're working in unison, and that's what you want. You want your coach and your general manager to work together. Yeah. And that's exactly what's happening. And the thing is, is like if the Jets go 6-10, and 10, everybody's going to be screaming for Gase to be fired. And I, can't, I don't think you can fire the guy right now. I just don't think it's a good idea. And I see I, this is the thing with Jet fans too, because say we did make the playoffs last year, everyone would be kissing Gase's ass and be like, oh, my God. We, when they were 6-2, and two, nobody was saying a damn thing about Adam Gase. Nobody was saying a damn thing about how bad the team was or whatever. And it's funny because, like, again, Maida, and I'll throw him under the bus every time, okay? The fact is, is a week ago, he's killing Gase in an article with Jamal Adams. Now, this guy has the nerve to put an article out basically saying how Adam Gase can be a better coach now that Jamal Adams isn't on the team anymore. So this guy is actually giving Gase coaching advice, to help with the Jets because Jamal is on the team. You I, see how like arrogant that sounds? Like he's such a fuck. You've been pissing on this guy left and right. Any chance you got, you give him no credit for the team going six and two. You give him no credit for the team not folding when they could have folded at one and seven, mm-hmm. which we've seen them fold under every other coach. Okay. You give the guy no credit, and you have the friggin' nerve to sit there and put an article out saying how he can be a better coach. Is he freaking out of his mind? Apparently. <laughs> but again, I don't expect him to get in Gakwe. I really don't. I think he's just going to roll with what he has. I think he wants to keep the salary cap that he has. He has over $20 million to spend. And he might just be more – maybe it's better to go after Clowney. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, Russia, rather than give up the draft capital to get in Gakwe. Yeah. I mean, um, and if you have Clowney for a year, it builds you up to next year. You don't have to bring Clowney back. Yeah, I think the long. The thing the long is, what I love about Bradley McDougal is the guy's trying to, you know, he's trying to get clowny here. I think, yeah, the one, the one thing I like about, uh, like the long, the longer clowny is in the free agency, I think the more his price is going to keep going down. We even saw that with Cam Newton. We, I think we, everyone expected Cam Newton to get this big, not a big, like big contract, but like 
like a 10, 12 project. I think everyone was expecting him to get, and he ended up getting less than five, and it shocked everyone. I think that that might happen with Clowney. Yeah. Um, last thing, which we kind of, I guess, expected to happen, but um, players are starting to opt out for the NFL season. Um, there's some pretty big names, uh, a few of them on the Patriots, actually. Uh, Dante Hightower, Patrick Chung, just to name a few. Uh, Marquise Goodwin, who was just acquired by the Eagles from the Niners on draft day. But listen, the reasons make all the sense in the world. Yeah, I'm not going to never criticize a player for opting out of the season. If you think this is the best move for your family, for you, then I have all the more respect for you for doing it. Yep. I think it's very commendable that you're going to leave the money on the table to make sure your family is safe in these really just, just unheard of times. Yeah. You know? Solder, I believe, has um, issues with his family. I think his son. Um, Marquise Goodwin, I think his wife just gave birth. Or, or Patrick Chung's wife, I think, or just gave birth recently. Um, but other players, listen, and if it's not family-related, it's okay if you don't feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with if you don't feel comfortable, if you feel like you're, you, know, you don't feel safe, there's nothing wrong with that either. Right. You know, like the, we don't, you know, I, I think it's very commendable that these guys are doing it. I really do. I, if, if you feel like you know, Nate Solder is going to be a loss for the Giants. For Dan, for the offensive line, for Daniel Jones, that's going to be a loss. It's definitely huge, definitely a big loss. Yeah. So, but again, at the end of the day, I applaud the decision that these players are making. That if they feel like you know they're not safe and they feel like they don't feel comfortable, then I'm very, I have no objection to them doing it. And you know what? I wish them all the best and that they do stay safe in these very difficult times. Mm-hmm. All right. Before we get out of here, any, uh, any, uh, anything? Yeah, I don't think we mentioned it in our past shows, but. NHL new team, Seattle. Oh, Seattle Kraken. Yeah, I don't think we mentioned this at all. I'm I'm loving it. I like it. I love the name, and I I'm I mean I wish they went with like a darker green in their uniforms, but I like it. I like the logo. I think I'm really excited for the Kraken. Um yeah no I love the uniform. I love the jerseys and everything. Um I'm pretty excited about having them in there. I'm curious to see how the expansion draft works for them. Mm-hmm. But I mean, listen, it's a it's a big fanfare. I mean, people don't know what a Kraken is. I didn't know what it was until, you know, I only know it from the Lego movie that when he's, you know, <laughs> when uh, the crazy glue is missing, uh, oh, missing the letters and he's like, oh, that's the Kraken. Oh, I um, love such a good movie too. I love that movie. Um, as for me, I was talking, I was watching NXT last night and, you know, there looks like they're really trying to push a uh, carry and cross against Keith Lee. Um, my honest opinion is I think it's too soon. I don't think it makes sense to give him a title so quickly, especially after Keith Lee just beat Adam Cole, mm-hmm. for the, uh, who was the longest reigning champion. I think it's, it's just too soon. I think it's really a slap in the face to Keith Lee. I think it undermines his, his title run. I think it undermines his victory. Mm-hmm. By all of a sudden, Karrion Cross coming in, and in three weeks, he's going to win the belt. I think it's stupid. Well, one thing I've noticed from I, – I haven't been watching – NXT for long, but one thing that I've noticed is they love to go on these long runs of champions, and then the champion will lose it, and right. then who, and then whoever they whoever they lost it to, that that person will hold it for maybe like a, a pay per view or not yeah. or less, and then they'll give it up to someone else. And I'm prime example: Shayna Baszler was holding it for so long, she lost it to Kyrie Sane, and then she beats it back from Kyrie like two weeks later. Uh, who held? Uh, Alistair Black, he held it for so long. Uh, Champa unfortunately gets injured. 
Gargano takes it over. He Gargano didn't hold it for less. I think he held it for like less than three weeks. Adam Cole goes on this long run with it. Okay, yeah. now, now Keith Lee holds it. But the thing is also, it's like, and then they gave the belts to Sasha Banks and Bailey, which I think is I, a, is a, I don't like the fact they gave the belt to Sasha Banks because, again, it's just it's lazy booking. It is. It, it, you're bringing down by doing this. Now you're now you're putting everybody down again, and then they're you know that's how you lose morale in a locker room. It, now there's it, talk that they're you know like you said you mentioned Alistair Black McMahon is kind of killing his push because he doesn't think he's a big time star. And the thing is, when you start getting into things like this. It become it really brings down the product in general, and then you start bringing back guys like the Big Show. You bring back Kane, or you bring back this or whatever. The one thing I'm glad to see that they finally did was they finally put the seeds, the story in motion for Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre. Yeah, that's been the one thing they they got they got right so far. Like I get that you mean like I I just I'm glad you brought this up because I totally forgot to even mention this. I don't like the I'm. I don't like the fact that Sasha and Bailey have all the belts because, yeah, I get it. Charlotte's off more boobs done. I get, I don't even know what her injury is. I get Becky's having a baby, but that doesn't mean you just throw all the belts at Sasha and Bailey. You have capable wrestlers like Lacey Evans, Nikki Cross, Alexa Bliss, uh, Shayna. Even if you want to even throw the belt on Nia again, I, I, not, I don't like that. But she can, you can, you can. I don't do want Nia being a champion. Neither, and the same thing, I, I'm going to say the same thing about AEW with MJF. Again, I think it's too soon. I don't think he's. I don't think it's. I don't think he should be the tie, the champion right now because you're still building a Moxley feud with Brian Cage. You know, Jericho. You got to get Jericho back in the picture eventually. Um, I think it makes no sense to put MJF. Uh, listen, I, MJF is a douche. Let's just call him what he is. I, I think he's a bit of a douche. Well, we, we could I, confirm confirm sources. Dick. I didn't really. So. I didn't really. Yeah, but I, I really didn't like the fact that like he was calling out the Miz and he was being like kind of an asshole about it. And I, I mean, when you're calling out another federation, you're being an asshole. You're not. Yeah. You're not focused on where you work. You're focusing on the Miz and yeah, whatever. Um, the thing with me, though, is, is like, you know, he did his whole State of the Union thing yesterday on AEW. I didn't really see it, but apparently it was really good. And the thing with me is, is like, I don't think he's right to give him the title right this moment. I think it doesn't make any sense. I think you're still trying to build – right now, you're still trying to build up those young guys. And then, you know, you also have guys like Moxley. You have Brian Cage. If you give MJF the title before Brian Cage, that just makes no sense. You built up Brian Cage for too long. I'm not a huge Brian Cage guy, but you kind of built him up in this huge feud with Moxley where he might lose two matches in a row. I just think it's not the time. It's not the time to give. I think MJF is not far off, but I don't think – I think if you put the belt on him now, it's a mistake. Yeah. Uh, no, I 100% agree. I mean, bright side – no, Zack Ryder made his debut last night. I was just about to say that. Matt Cardona, baby. I love it. Love it. I'm curious to see where they go with it. I have, I I was listening. I was reading Kingside Seats this morning, and they made a good point. They said they they said it would be pretty cool if he tagged with Cody, but then turned on Cody. Like, Ooh, I, I I'm for you got to shed like you know why? Because you got to shed the baby face thing, and like that's what Zack Ryder's been known for when he was Long Island Ice Z and when he was with Ryder and Hawkins in WWE. But making him a heel might be a good thing. I'm I'm for it. I'm for it. Yeah. I, like I, I'm. I'll, I'm Zach, Matt Cordona, Zach Ryder, whatever we want to call him if, now. If you just take the same thing that WWE did and put it in AEW, it's not going to work. So you yeah. got to try to see if you can do a different character with him. But it was pretty cool last night altogether. But yeah, and even to, I, um, 
to go back to talk about Bailey and Sasha, I think Nikki wins on Friday night. I think she wins the belt from Bailey. Um, we'll see. Honestly, the way if I didn't know any better, I would think that they're going to do a uh, Alexa Bliss heel turn, which I think would be a big mistake. I'm fine with that though, because she's a great heel. I'm fine with that. Yeah, but again, you have too many heels. You don't have enough faces. And if you don't have enough faces, then this is the only way you're going to get over these guys is by being – you just made Lacey Evans a heel. I mean, See, that, many, that's you, the thing, though. If, if, you, if, if you have too many heels, they may, it's a perfect – talk about them putting Ricochet and Cedric Alexander as a heel tag team. I mean, how many heels do you possibly need in this federation? But see, like, the thing is, like, if you have more heels, then you can at least build up the faces like Nikki Cross, Bianca Belair – Ruby Riot, who I don't agree yeah, with. You can also build up the faces by making them champions and having them with a prolonged title run. Yeah. You know, but, like, they, they don't do that for the face. They only do that for the heels. They don't do that for the face characters, and that's a big deal. Like, a lot of people are arguing about, oh, I think the Sasha Bailey thing is great storytelling. On what planet do you think this is great storytelling? I think it was all right at first, but now it's getting, it's getting played out, and I'm it's not... getting pissed. annoying, and that's yeah. the thing. Bailey and Sasha Banks are starting to get annoying now. It's not even about them being good, and I've always... You know me. We've said it on here. Well, I really like the Bailey heel turn, but it's getting annoying, and like, yeah. it, something needs to change. Otherwise, you're just kind of stuck in a... In a run, it was like I've been watching the Monday Night War thing on um, WWE Network when it was WCW against WWE, yeah. and you really see how bad WCW was when Eric Bischoff just went full steam ahead with the NWO. He put like thirty guys in there. Wrestlers were tired. Wrestlers were basically. So Jericho said, like on, he said, if you had a program at the NWO, you were basically wasting your time because you weren't going to win. You know, and those are the things, and you don't want to do that. Like you don't yeah. want to do that with these wrestlers, but. Um, yeah, so like I said before, I just think it's the wrong time for Karrion Cross and MJF to have title runs. I think it's too soon. I don't think, you know, and again, I think if you put the belt on Karrion Cross right now, it's a huge slap in the face to Keith Lee. Huge slap in the face. Like, I, 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 what I, from what I hear, I hear they're really high on Karrion Cross. They are. They were supposedly it was going to be like a fast push. Like, they were going to push him, rush him right through NXT into like SmackDown or Raw. Yeah. So that could be the only thing that makes sense. If he loses to Keith Lee, he goes right to Raw or SmackDown. One, one guy I love, I, I hope they push this guy to the moon, is Dexter Loomis. Yes. I he has, love he has, Dexter Loomis. He had a similar gimmick in, w, in Impact. It mm-hmm. was under Sam Shaw. And he looked, he, his gimmick was Dexter from the show, the Showtime show. He had the same shirt mm-hmm. and the pants and everything, but his hair wasn't like that bleach blonde and everything. Okay. He is a badass. Like, I like, I like the fact that Dexter Loomis – and I like the fact his theme song is very eerily similar. It's like the Stranger Things soundtrack. Yes. That's, all, that's awesome. So, all right, well, listen, that's going to do it for the Moffat on the Mic show for today. A very special thank you to Jake Asman, host of the Jake Asman Show, for coming on to talk some Jets football and Astros baseball. Check out Jake's show every Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on the Sports Map Network. Um, he also puts it on Facebook Live. Follow him on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as well. Clem, thank you for holding it down like you normally do. And uh, follow the show, as always, on Instagram at Moff on the Mic, Twitter at Moffat on the Mic, and my Facebook page as well. You can follow Clem on the A1 Sports Network on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, wherever you are, everybody, stay safe out there. Please wear your masks, especially in public places. It is getting worse, progressively worse now than it was before. I feel like we're in a worse situation than we were back in March. It just seems like it's very just dead in the water right now. And we are going into the fall months, man. We're right at September's right around the corner, bro. 
I didn't realize. Like someone said it the other day, it's like January, uh, July ends in like a week. I was like, holy yeah. shit, dude! Man. August first is on Saturday. That's nuts. Like I had, I generally had no idea how fast it went. It went like that. Like, I mean, the thing is, like, I, I mean, I hate to be like a bearer of bad news. I got a call. I'm furloughed now until the middle of September. Jeez, I, I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I'm going back. Jeez, like that's how bad the hospitality industry just got ravaged by this thing. So. But um, look, wherever you are, guys, stay safe. Please wear your mask. It's very important. You know, just, it's just about the other people. It's not always about you. It's about the other people. You know, we want to get through this thing as whenever we can because we just want to get back to a little normalcy in our world and everything. Uh, we hope to have Bob Condotta tomorrow on the show, the Seahawks uh, writer for the Seattle Times. Um, I have yet to confirm with him if he's going to be on the show. But if we do, we will post it on all of our social media outlets, as well as the A1 social media outlets as well. On behalf of Chris Klim, I am Craig Moffat. This has been the Moffat on the Mic Show. Again, wherever you are, stay safe. Have a great rest of the evening. And we could be back tomorrow with a new show, but if not, we'll be back next week. Have a great one, everybody.